Ahem, ahem. Hello there, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Modernist Cuisine. <laughs> My name is Justin, and I'm uh, sitting in a room filled with so much love right now. <laughs> Tell uh, me about it. Wow. Yeah, also filled with um, contemporary art. I feel like I'm in a museum of some sort. This is good. Yeah, yeah find, is find the pieces uh, featuring uh, Tom Saltman. That's my favorite game to play. Yeah, yeah. we're we're finally uh, <laughs> solving uh, an epic, mysterious riddle in Heavy Hole lore. I'm at Justin's uh, refurbished uh, place. I'm at Casa de Wall. Yeah, Here. Love yeah. It. Yes. But uh, the 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 the, uh, the alleged bathroom. Is in another part of the estate. I, we may or may not get to that tonight, but that's right. I'm, as it is right now, I mean, all this. I had, I almost shit my pants when I saw this artwork. <laughs> <laughs> it's there's stuff everywhere. But uh, enough about me and my whole situation going on here. <laughs> uh, you welcome to me into your house, Justin. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. It's uh, it's nice to change the location once more. I think we're, we've upgraded over the past uh, couple of months, so this is nice. Thanks, guys, for coming over. It's an upgrade from uh, uh, my bedroom on Skype. We're all, we're all a healthy distance away. You know, we're just trying to abide. That's it. But, Fist bumps. Yeah, but <laughs> doing well, you know? Uh, just getting ready for the storm to come. Allegedly, uh, man. I don't know. It might wimp out. You never know. Yeah. You know, the, news is, the news is saying uh, don't discount a tropical storm. Which means just don't change the channel, please. Watch us. All right. Well, I, really want to I just stocked up on tapes, so I'm ready to stay <laughs> home, okay? You got your double A's, too? No, nah, no, nah, I don't. Well, nah, yeah, I do have a bunch of double A's. I do have a bunch of. You're right. You're right. I didn't even think about that, but I did think about that a few months ago, so I'm good. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for reminding me. Of course. That's good. Tom, well, how you doing? Yeah. Are you prepping? Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, do you have your uh, bucket of Bibles? It's good to be <laughs> out of the studio. Uh, and getting to, uh, I don't know. It's probably not going to be able. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to work tomorrow. I know it, and I have a lot of deadlines. So I just kind of called the clients. Hey, storm's coming. Everything's going. Sorry, power's out already. <laughs> if it's not the power, it's the internet. It's one of those things. Yeah, it's going. It's happening. So I uh, can't on the worst of it. But Hydrophobia. He's afraid of water. It's going to be paralyzing tomorrow. That's a symptom of rabies. Did you know that? Is it? I, yeah. Well, somebody tell the dog over there. We have a nice dog. <laughs> <laughs> What's your dog's name again? It's Alice. Come on, the dog's not afraid of the Segway. AKA Sally Pickles. I'm riding the Segway, but being conscious, being respectful of your dog. Yeah, she's got the fancy nails, so you can hear her on the wood. You know, <laughs> tick tick tick. Uh, you know, guys, I hate to jump the Segway this quick, but another guy that's got some fancy nails that tickles the wood. <laughs> Come on, uh, class my, A. My esteemed bandmate, uh, world-renowned brutal death metal guitarist. Cody Drasser, uh, the dog is wreaking havoc behind the scenes. <laughs> Technical difficulties with the wires. It's all good. It's good. You, you segue to the guest and told us how your week was in the same sentence. Yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. Uh, world world renowned guitarist uh, Cody Drasser is going to be joining us of the band Afterbirth, which you may or may not have heard of a few times uh, if you're <laughs> familiar with this podcast. Uh, also, Call Bear, uh, a, a kind of experimental project. We're going to get into that. Uh, and see what this guy's all about. Uh, and also, this isn't just Big Will trying to hype up uh, every bandmate and every person. I'm not going to have uh, Uncle Ed on the on the show next week. I'm just trying to share with you maybe some uh, some knowledge and some stories I've garnered over the years from working with these people, man. So, Cody, uh, we're going to get him on the horn, and we're going to give him some of your questions that you gave us through the social media also the last few days. There we go. And uh, grill him on that, all right? So let's see how he comes out, huh? Let's Got do it. it. Get him on the phone. Put him on. 
Uh, Cody, if you're ready, man, we're just going to jump in like we normally do, all right? I am psyched and I'm ready. So uh, <laughs> wherever you want to start, it's good with me. All right. Well, we always start traditionally at the beginning, uh, yes. like, like, a, like a good death metal album. That's the best place to start. Yeah, uh, we, need a, we need an intro or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll, let me get the keyboard and the acoustic guitar and the, uh, the, the wind blowing through the cemetery, all right? Um, uh, well, well, how about this? The wind blowing through Long Island. Um, I, you're originally from Long Island? Yep, uh, I was born in Levittown. Okay, Levittown. And eventually, I guess you moved east uh, of Levittown? Yeah. Mm, you know, I don't remember how old I was. I was maybe three or four, I think. We moved out uh, to Bellport, which is where I am right now, though I haven't lived in Bellport my whole life. I moved around a couple times, you know, as I got older. But, um, yeah, so we moved out to Bellport when I was maybe like three or four, I think. Okay, and um, I know eventually that the band, uh, you know, Afterbirth kind of comes together out, out there East Suffolk County. But before we get into that, uh, as I always ask, are you from a particularly musical family? Um, I knew you were going to ask that, and I'm glad, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm glad you did because, you know, I've been thinking about this, and it's like a little bit of yes and a little bit of no. Um, both my parents listen to music, you know, all kinds of music, stuff on the radio, um, what have you. Uh, my mother always sang to the radio she actually also sings in a choir yeah at church she's not a very particularly religious person but she's always gone to church for the communal aspect and just to sing in a choir with her friends um and my grandmother my mother's mother who passed away a couple years back she also sang uh quite a bit and played piano and my uncle my father's brother who passed away a long long time ago he was quite young he played guitar and uh, i was too young to remember if he was like very good at it or uh you know rigorous or fastidious in practicing but um yeah that's the extent of, of musicality in my family which I, I guess is not so bad um and actually I picked up the guitar from my uncle who passed away because when I was about 12, my grandparents moved uh, from their house in Levittown out east to Riverhead, and we were helping them pack up, and my uncle, Rich, my, my uncle Ricky, his guitar, I said to my grandfather, like, can I have this? Can I use this? And he's like, well, as long as you, you know, treat it well, go ahead, you know, go for it. So I took it not really knowing anything about guitar you know i had no idea how to play i had a couple of friends who dabbled um but that was sort of like the beginning um huh. just said i want this and i'm gonna figure it out basically so your first guitar was kind of a family heirloom yeah it was a, a um an acoustic guitar uh it was a gibson epiphone is the name of of the guitar so yeah it is a family heirloom i've never even really thought about it like that um, but I, I don't know if I would have started playing music or an instrument if that moment hadn't happened. So, you know, I was very young and I missed having my uncle around, but had he still lived, I'm not so sure if that, uh, transference, I guess would have happened. Who knows? I'm sure something would have happened, but yeah, maybe uh, just that, a different type of, uh, 
um, hey, you may have been inspired by him later. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, that would have been cool too, man. Wow. So did you ever take uh, formal lessons? You know, uh, for a little while, I was taking lessons um, from this sort of young rock star type dude uh, that my my mother kind of knew from, you know, uh, actually we had an extension put on our house when I was about 12 or 13, not too long after I had the guitar, and one of the guys who was maybe about 25, 27 at the time, you know, long hair, um, sort of like glam metal looking dude, you know. Um, Sick. Putting up shingles and mascara. Did you learn rap? Dude, totally, totally. Um, I guess she got to talking to him and said, yeah, you know, my son just found or, you know, acquired this guitar. Would you be able to give him lessons? And um, I went over there a number of times. um, And I don't really know why I stopped going. It was, you know, it was maybe... It was expensive for my parents, probably, and it was quite a haul. You know, it was maybe like a 30-minute drive to this gentleman's apartment, and my dad had to wait outside for an hour, and then it was a drive back. So I think I maybe would have, maybe might have gone five or six times. And then after I stayed with the guitar, which is good, um, and then maybe two or three years later, I started taking lessons again at another, uh, at a local a music store called Family Melody in Patchogue, which has been like around for a long time. Um, sort of <laughs> funny story here. The guy I was taking guitar lessons from, uh, his name is Ronald Thal, and he actually ended up being in Guns N' Roses uh, <laughs> for the whole Chinese democracy uh, thing. No you know, way. He was in the band then, <laughs> basically. Wow. Did he, ha- did he wear a bucket on his head? He didn't, no. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Buckethead is way better than that guy. Anyway. <laughs> this guy was good, don't get me wrong. I remember like my first lesson with this guy. I wanted to I was sort of obsessed with Testament at the time and I played him I don't know what it was a song from the New Order and I said, I really like this solo and he like listened to it once, stopped the tape, played the fucking solo. <laughs> damn. <laughs> and was like, Oh okay, I'll teach you that. <laughs> All right. Pretty solid, not as crispy as Buckethead, but yeah. fucking solid. But you could probably play yeah. round and round like so tight. <laughs> yeah. I, oh yeah. god, they all could back then. Uh, if you couldn't, then like you know, you weren't worth anything. So I was born too late. That's the metric, man. <laughs> that still stands today. So, at what point do you start to notice extreme metal uh, and heavy metal more than like your, well, you know back then, like your more commercial metal that was on the radio? Um. Well, I had been listening to, I guess, like heavy metal, like Iron Maiden and Metallica for like a year or two, and I started getting into thrash, which was, you know, so like, all right, Iron Maiden was like my first like really heavy band, Um, and then like Metallica, Anthrax, those bands, and then I think... um, I heard a couple of songs, so Headbangers Ball was big, you know, in the late 80s, and I heard The Toxic Waltz by Exodus, and the video, rather, I heard it and I saw it, obviously, and that guitar, like, the Gary Holt and I think Rick Honnold, the two guitars from that band, like, they're just very angular, gnarly sort of riffs that were much heavier and more wicked sounding than other types of thrash, 
and I and I was like, I want more of this. And then I heard, uh, I saw the video for Betrayer uh, by Creator off the Extreme Aggression album, and that was really like the turning point for me. That kind of like really flipped my lid. I was like, I don't know if I understand this, but it's really heavy, and this guy is just screaming like a wounded animal, and I really like it. Um, <laughs> And I knew that it was different because uh, a good friend of mine at the time who had played guitar a little bit, who I don't think plays guitar anymore, said he hated it. He was like, oh, this is not music or whatever he said. And I was automatically, my contrarian antenna like went up and said, <laughs> he's saying this, but I don't believe him. I think that there's something here and I'm going to keep following this path. Um, and then from there, you know, like Sepultura, Beneath the Remains was like not too far from that point. Um, and then like early, early death metal, like um, Spiritual Healing by Death, Cause, Cause of Death by Obituary, those types of albums were really like a year or two around the corner for me. And I, I really just really liked it immediately. And I, I always wanted heavier stuff. Um, so I feel like even if I had heard like Iron Maiden somewhere in time and then all of a sudden you had turned around and someone had showed me like Blasphemy Made Flesh by Cryptopsy, I would have been like, okay, this is it. I wouldn't have said, oh, that's too heavy. <laughs> like, I just don't think I would have reacted that way. You know? O always ready for the brutality. Um, I kind of was. I don't know. You know, I really just feel like it was always in me for, for whatever reason. Well, I mean, because now you're talking about like the very early 90s, the very beginnings of death metal... Uh, and people know that Long Island has like a rich history of death metal going back right to the start. So tell us a little bit about what was going on in terms of bands and shows. Was it like in full gear or would it still, you know, would it be a few years before suffocation kind of takes over and that sort of thing? Um, well, for me, it was a few years before it kicked into gear because of my age. Um, you know, like 90, 91, I was getting into death metal. Um, but I was, you know, I don't know, 14, 15 at that point. And I didn't have a car. And I didn't have any older friends to drive me in a car. And I just really had, like, the local record stores and magazines. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't... I know there were shows going on based on now the history that I know about but I wasn't really a part of it until, you know, two, two years later or so in the 93. Um, but I know that Suffocation was there and they were playing shows. I know that Pyrexia was also in their early, early stages and Internal Bleeding was not far away from that. And um, even like uh, bands like, I don't know, Perseverance, like the, the later era thrash bands from Long Island that were still pretty heavy. Um, you know, those guys were still kicking around like playing Sundance or other other venues i just never had a chance to go around that particular time because of my age for better or for worse you know so i i guess what comes first then starting afterbirth or like going getting into the underground death metal scene oh definitely getting into the underground death metal scene you know i would say um 91 through 93 like prior to me starting afterbirth and like graduating high school and actually going to shows i was definitely like way or starting to get way into it it was still still like a, a burgeoning thing but you know buying you know some zines here and there if i could find them 
or uh, Metal Maniacs was the big magazine uh, for me at that point. Um, it it showcased. It was a very underground magazine. I, I don't know if any of you guys remember it. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And most of the bands that were in that magazine that they interviewed were pretty underground and they even they had like demo section and i would look at those demos and i don't for a while like i i don't know why i just i never ordered demos from 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 the addresses they had in there i just i was still too young to to really go up i i just didn't understand for whatever reason but the the underground was beginning to become more apparent to me um, especially in like uh, 11th grade and 12th grade, you know, I would say death metal was like a way of life <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better term. It was like all I wanted. Yeah. Um, though, yeah, I'm never going to say I only listened to death metal because I was just never the case, but it was mostly only death metal around that time. Yeah, well, especially when you're a teenager, sometimes you don't even want to listen to any other style of music. You know, you're so enamored with metal which is a new thing to you um exactly exactly when do you meet the guys in afterbirth take us through like a little bit and just for the listeners too we did interview you before on our um episode at the pyrexia compound uh, a while back and you talked a little bit about the the roots of afterbirth but maybe just give us um you know you dave case matt duncan and keith harris all coming together who knew who that yeah. sort of thing. And I believe there was a bass player before Dave, right? You know, these were those were amazing times back then. So Afterbirth formed in mid-93, sort of like maybe June, July 93, almost before I graduated high school. And it's because I met Matt. Now, interesting story, my sister Shay had met Matt at the mall. <laughs> Matt was probably cruising, you know, cruising <laughs> chicks at the mall and met my sister... Um, but I don't think she was having it. You know, my sister's not stupid. <laughs> she just, she didn't like Matt in that way, but she was like, oh, you like death metal, and oh, you like this. She's like, you should meet my brother, you know. So she, he was like, okay, well, I'll come over. And I think he still maybe <laughs> so had an still intent- a chance. <laughs> yes, I think he had maybe some, you know, inner, inner thoughts of maybe I'll go to meet this kid, Cody, but I'll still get to hook up with Shay. Um, anyway, he came over. That never happened. You know, Shay and Matt, they were never a thing, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. But we ended up talking, and it was like, yeah, we do like these same things. And he was telling me about this band that he was in with his friends. And um, he, I'll go out with this guy. This guy seems cool. Yeah, me and Matt went out instead of me and, <laughs> instead of Shay and Matt. Um, we, we basically kind of hit it off right away. I didn't have a... Um, there was no, like butt sniffing with me and matt you know like when you first meet somebody um you're not so sure if they're cool if they're not cool it was just like oh we're we're sort of the same you know because i didn't know too many death metal people back then aside from some of my close friends around here who also were kind of into death metal but maybe not as much as i was so he was like maybe one of the first death metal fans musicians i met who lived in another town um so it was like wow there are other people like me um, anyway, I'm, I'm getting off topic a little bit with that. But so Matt basically talked about starting a band, and I said, "Sure." Um, I don't know how good I am. I, you know, I never thought I was that great of a guitarist. It was just like, well, I can play, and I like death metal, and I can play some death metal. 
Um, and Matt also played guitar at that point. He was like, well, I'll sing and play guitar and you can play guitar. I was like, all right, that's great. So I think he came over with his amp one day in my bedroom and I had my amp and my guitar. And we were just like sort of hashing out riffs. He showed me some riffs he had written uh, one, or a song, really, that I, one of the first the very first song we wrote together was a song called Rebirth, which is on the rehearsal demo. And that was all Matt's song. It was totally his song. Um, and so it was for a, a little while, just me and Matt, just playing jamming guitar. He didn't, we didn't even, he didn't have a microphone. It was just sort of us playing. Um, and then we were searching for drummers. And we just had no luck, you know, really finding any uh, that, to play death metal around here. You know, there was a real, real shortage of them. And I guess there still kind of are, you know, in a way, like really talented drummers there's a shortage of. Um, we we met a few, jammed with a few, and I'm like forgetting who these people were. It doesn't really matter, you know, they, it's not even like a footnote in history, really, it doesn't matter, but... It wasn't Sal from Buckshot, right? Yeah, he was there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that would that would have been crazy, but... um, um Well, him, him and Matt do... Just for the listeners, interesting lore. Him and Matt know, knew each other well. Uh, Matt, Matt, yeah. and and Sal were from, I guess, a similar area, and they, you know, they, they, him, 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 and Sal's Sal and Sal's brother knew him and all that sort of thing. I'm sure they got. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff we can't talk about in the podcast that went down back then. Those two guys. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but but not to, not to derail you. Um, so you guys were looking for drummers. Yeah, and we went through sort of an audition process. I wouldn't call it an audition process. It was. I was ready to just, if a drummer was willing to play with us and say yes, <laughs> I was totally going to say, well, you're in the band. But no, no drummers really did that. We, you know, they just either weren't into it, like they didn't understand it, or they were just total, you know, douche canoes. And it was like, you know, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, we're not going to play with this asshole. Um, so it was Sal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Shout to Sal. And, um, so fast forward a few months later, uh, like fall 93, um, and Matt was going out with this girl named Diana, and Diana worked, I forgot where it was, but she said, oh, I work with this guy named Keith, you know, um, I'm going to tell him about you and you guys should, you know, hook up and play. Uh, ended up, you know, Keith Harris, our current drummer, and... Keith, at that time, I don't think had ever listened to death metal. I, I know he hadn't listened to death metal. Uh, what, was he into, like, metallic music? Yes. Was he into, like, heavy music? Yes. Um, but he had probably never come across death metal. Didn't know what a blast beat was. Didn't know anything like that. And I'm not saying I, I taught Keith everything he knows about it, but at that point, he was... Um, like a, a fragile eggshell mind type of guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, so eventually we got together, and I really wish I could remember that first time we jammed, but I just don't. Um, the first few times, but I, uh, it obviously like was cohesive enough, and there was like enough promise there with us that we decided to keep going you know with that um you know obviously those the first few jam sessions you know were 
hashing things out and we didn't record anything unfortunately so there's no real um there's there's no record of that except me telling you that it happened and i you know i don't even remember how it went totally these podcasts they stay published forever so now there's a record <laughs> yeah clear that up <laughs> that's awesome um and then as far as the bass player i got i got to jump back a little bit because i kind of forgot about that we were jamming with this kid named phil um phil was a kid that matt grew up with same neighborhood he was a bass player he was just sort of there with us we jammed with him a couple of times and i don't really remember how that went um and eventually once matt started going out with this woman diana and diana told us about keith well then diana was like well my brother alex plays bass um and we heard alex and we thought that alex was definitely an improvement upon phil you know with respect to phil um so we asked phil to leave and you know alex stepped up to replace him and we were it was the four of us. It was me on guitar, Matt only uh, strictly on vocals because he had decided not to play guitar and sing at the same time for whatever reason. Uh, Alex on bass and Keith on drums. And that was the band for a while. Um, maybe a year, maybe not. Uh, I can't quite remember how long. But So, so yeah. I, will, I was just going to ask, then that original rehearsal demo in 93, is that the lineup on that? Yeah, that is the lineup. It's me, Matt, Alex, and Keith. Yep, that's it. Okay, and you know, you talk about Matt. That's really interesting to me. the The origin of the band. Uh, it's you and Matt both playing guitar, and he's writing material. Did he continue to write material on guitar um, after he switched to vocals, or did it, did it turn into just you writing guitar at that point? Basically, just turned into me playing the guitar, um, and I don't, I don't really know why. He just wanted to focus on vocals. I know it was, a, it's a very physical thing to to vocalize and sing like that. Yeah, it's hard. Um, it is hard. I can't do it. Obviously, I can't sing at all. But and then to also do that and play guitar at the same time is it's quite like a complex, um, you know, combination of movements and and. I don't know, neurological processes, I guess you could say. Um, so I guess for whatever reason, that yeah, it was decided, that was pretty early on, you know, that, that that happened. And it wasn't really like a bump in the road or a thing. It was just like, okay, I was, you know, we just talked about it and I was like, cool, well, well let's move forward now. That was it. So uh, let's talk about Matt's vocals then while we're on that topic. Yeah. Was did Matt start doing vocals as a result of you guys jamming, or was he like I can do vocals when you guys met? Like, had he already been practicing? And- he had been doing that for a while, mm-hmm. and he had been doing that guttural gurgling thing for forever. Like that was like how he was doing it. He was in some other local bands, you know, prior to meeting me and starting Afterbirth. But like he always did that. Um, and he, we didn't, there was no name for it. It wasn't called gutturals or anything. Like, to me, it was like, oh, it's a low voice. It's a death, this is how, this is how death metal is sung, you know? Yeah. Talking about Matt's vocals, then, that's interesting, because what, like, what are the influences on Matt's vocals? Can you tell us if Matt um, was listening to any specific bands and vocalists uh, back then? Because, obviously, Matt is credited quite often as being the first or one of the first recorded and documented people to do that guttural bullfrog style of vocal, which is also, I, I would add, like differentiated from the anti-Bowman 
um, Demolich style of guttural vocal. What Matt was doing was more in line with the American brutal grunting death metal style. It was more aggressive. So was there anybody that you can think of that he was referencing in doing that? Um, you know, no, because, you know, to us, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I'll also say to us, you know, death metal was death metal. There weren't like these, like, these fences around genres and then further divisions around subgenres and, oh, well, we're going to, we're going to take a little bit of this grindcore element and then we're going to take from this power violence element and we're going to take from this strictly death metal element. Like there was none of that. It was like, like death metal was just sort of a wide open playing field and there weren't any or not too many at that point differentiations. Like if you listen to death or immolation or suffocation or um, whoever, um, and you know those guys; those all had wildly different vocal deliveries. Um, there was no—I don't know—you know what I'm saying. But um, just to get to the, the meat of your question, he wasn't really listening to anything specifically. It was just sort of uh, what was popular at that time. There was no like direct influence on him that I remember him saying to me ever. It was just he liked death metal like I did, and he liked the local bands like Suffocation and Pyrexia, but he also liked Dark Throne and he also liked Ball Thrower and he also liked, you know, Benediction and Morbid Angel and Terrorizer and whoever, you know, Winter, whatever. And he was just doing, that was his spin on it. It was his death metal. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and with that in mind, it sounds like... Um Sounds like a conclusion that that he probably could have reached maybe listening to early Pyrexia and early Suffocation and mm-hmm. just kind of spinning it in his own brutal way and using his own technique. Um, I, I believe that's probably the case, yeah. Yeah, uh, in- interesting, man, especially in, you know today when you can look back and see how many people use that style and where it's come from and all that. Obviously, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've covered on the podcast many times how much it influenced me and my work. We don't have to go For there sure. again. But yeah. um, uh, maybe take us then into uh, the one person we haven't um, uh, talked about with Afterbirth yet in this conversation, Dave Case. Oh, yeah, Dave. So Dave Case, he's pretty much like been my best friend since he was four and I was six. Um, when I moved to Bellport, as I mentioned earlier, I was living in one part of Bellport, you know, a few blocks over where I live now. But then we moved... Um, to the house that I grew up in, which is actually the house that I'm in right now. And Dave lived across the street. And like I said, he was four, I was six. And we were just standing outside of our houses with some of the other local kids. I was like the new kid, the stranger on the block, new stranger on the block, I guess. And uh, just literally walked across the street uh said something to him you know we were just like playing and like that was it so um ever since then we've just been like you know really best friends um and we grew up playing music together you know like i I gave you a little bit of the backstory with me and my guitar and dave started playing bass like you know not too long after that and dave is a naturally talented musician like way better than me with picking things up by ear and way more nuanced and just i think sort of skillful um and that was apparent really early on um and we we played in not bands really but we jammed with friends and we gave 
these jam sessions, stupid band names, um, you know, and just sort of did that throughout high school. And Dave knew about Afterbirth. And I originally, you know, we had Phil and then Alex. So it wasn't like, you know, Dave wasn't in the band yet. And I don't even know if I had even thought about it. Because I, I guess I hadn't known if Dave was interested. That's probably the real reason. And then at some point, uh, we didn't really want Alex in the band anymore. And I don't quite know why. Because um, he was definitely like a, a skilled bass player. But for whatever reason, maybe he wasn't. It was probably some personal things going on um, that we asked him to leave and we asked Dave to join. And Dave was like, yeah, totally. You know, and he just like jumped in. And that was when I think the Afterbirths, when we really became more of a cohesive unit, when things started coming together in, in a way that they weren't before. I think prior to Dave's joining the band, it was just sort of scattershot piecemeal things like okay, we had this song and it sounds like this and that song and it sounds like that. And um, it wasn't always like consistent from track to track. Uh, with Dave, I think we took the best of what was already there and then added Dave's prowess to that. And um, I guess the rest is kind of history. Maybe, maybe not. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> well, it, well, it, it, it kind of is history because... Um uh, you know, you guys have that uh, uh, fetocidal embryo harvestation, which was um, uh, released on uh, John, John Dwyer's um, yeah, Pathos Pathos, Pathos Yes, escape me for yeah. a minute. Uh, Pathos Productions, and that collected the rehearsal demo, which I had never heard up until then, and psychopathic embryotomy. And one thing that you notice is that there's a huge jump in keith's ability um not not as i wouldn't say as a drummer he was he was a, you could obviously tell he knew his way around a drum kit in the beginning but his yeah. tempo and his ability to play death metal drums his blast beats his double bass and the overall tempo of the songs takes a dramatic jump within like a year um yeah so I, exactly. I guess that, that that's the you know you mentioned keith wasn't really up to speed on death metal uh was there like a big period of um uh i, I guess catching up uh crunching you know, no, it was just us playing and just getting better and better. And it was never a question of us starting slow and thinking, this is too slow, man, we have to get faster. It was just, well, this is what we're playing now, and this is death metal, and we're cool with it. You know, our primitive afterbirth style. And then we, we just practiced, and we always got together, and we're always writing. And it was almost, we had to, like, look back on things to see how how we had progressed you know it was almost in the middle of it whatever the situation is you don't often see the progressions you don't you don't see uh, all all the things that are happening the strides you're taking and making uh, so it was more like after the fact that we 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 saw that progression and i think you can also hear that progression on some of the live tracks that are on that fetocidal embryo harvestation tracks you know i listened to some of those live tracks like I think there's a live version of Impure Conception, and it's just so fast, even faster than the demo. And I think it was just playing live, feeding off of our adrenaline. And it was it was after we had recorded the demo. It was just like, wow, like what were we on? What were we thinking? It was just, you know, I, I look at that, I listen to that, I'm like, that's great. Like I'm proud of that. You know, like I can hear how far we've come. If you listen to like 
how slow like aborted Christ sounds on the rehearsal demo than you hear, you know, that live version of Impure Conception or some other song. It's I it's it makes me smile, you know, it's proud. I'm proud of that. Yeah, well you guys were very young, like I mean, late teens into your early twenties during that period, right? Yeah, I was 17 when we started the band matt was like a year matt and keith were like a year or so older than me um and dave dave's like two years younger than me but i mean when he joined he was 17 and i was 19 when we recorded psychopathic you know so it was like late teens i wasn't even 20 years old you know when we recorded psychopathic embryotomy wow um, and Matt, Matt, Matt was. Matt and Keith were like 20 or 21, I think, at that point. Uh, so let's talk about Psychopathic Embryotomy, um, a recording that's had obviously a huge impact on my life. And in the last several years, um, since the band is reunited and since the climate of, of, of nostalgic, brutal death metal has kind of uh, taken on its own thing nowadays with the younger generation, um, mm -hmm. it's gained a lot more popularity. If, yeah. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was recorded at Legend Studios on Long Island? Yeah, Legend, Legend Studios, I guess it would have been in Islip. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the address was. Um, and uh, I remember, like, I, you know, you could take, like, uh, just, like, Motor Parkway and, you know, you make a, make a turn on some side street. And it was, like, in the back of some neighborhood in an industrial park, you know? They all are. All those studios are. They all, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have to be, I guess, you know. <laughs> and was that like a go-to place for underground metal bands at the time? I don't remember how we found out about that. I think, you know, some bands that either, I think it was maybe Matt's suggestion. I really do believe that it was a suggestion from Matt um, said, we should go here. Um and I, 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 he probably played me a demo from a band that had recorded a demo there. And I said, hey, sure. Um, so we just booked some time. And I think we probably recorded, I don't, we, I don't remember, but I think we probably had recorded the whole demo in like a weekend time period, you know, a Saturday, Sunday. Um, very very quickly because it, it was what i i remember doing it but it was a blur so i don't remember specific moments except all just like a um a montage in my head of images that swirl by really quickly <laughs> you know <laughs> was it recorded live it was recorded live yeah um that was a weird thing because you know keith was in a room i was in a room maybe day was in the room with me or something but we were recorded it live but we were in separate spaces so there was a little bit of a barrier um between like body language and communication but we did play it live and matt sang over the live recordings right so we meaning me dave and keith played the music got it to how we liked it i think we probably played each song like two or three times that was about it if it was even that um and then matt went in there you know shirtless and barefoot and just <laughs> ready to ready to just like stomp on cities and just you know crush the world and just <laughs> went in there like a maniac um and did his thing and that was that <laughs> and um i mean well also something i i realized is that uh it was engineered by Joe Marcel, who was also the guitarist uh, at the time of like Long Island's um, kind of underrated progressive metal band, Inner Strength. 
Yeah, and I didn't even realize that until you pointed that out. Like, <laughs> I think maybe like a year or so ago, because yeah. um, I hadn't like really looked at the demo in a while. So and like so the name, you know, that who Joe that that whole. I forgot who had done it, and then when you said, "Oh, you, this guy did your demo," and I was like, "Oh yeah, I recognize that name," and you said, "Well, he was in this band," and I was like, "Holy crap, crap!" <laughs> you know, like, like that's cool. So like, I learned some history, you know, and uh, that was really neat <laughs> to piece that together. <laughs> no, so well, you, well, yeah, no, obviously, I, I, um, I was just curious if there was any uh, reflection at that at that period, like if you were familiar with Inner Strength, you know, obviously not, obviously a completely different style of metal. Just interesting to me because if you go back and you listen to Inner Strength, it, it has a little bit more of maybe like a thrash-informed, uh, progressive metal type of thing going on. Um, obviously, does, a, a, yeah. a far cry from Afterbirth. Uh, anyway, um, it, it might have a little more more in common with newer Afterbirth, but at the time for the Psychopathic Embryotomy demo, just interesting that he got that sound for you guys, which is now looked back upon as like this hallmark brutal death metal sound. When you guys listened back to it, did you did you realize that you had something that was kind of a step more, um, uh, a, a step more brutal for death metal? You know, almost as a whole at that point. No, not at all. Um, so kind of as i was saying with matt's vocals how we didn't see it as anything you know particularly unique or special though so we were like yeah this is cool this is what we're going to do likewise like with the sound of the demo and things like we didn't say to ourselves we're doing something here you know we're really making a mark in you know death legendary you know death metal you know whatever um it was like well we recorded a demo and we want it to be heavy and fast because Again, well, that's how death metal is. It's heavy and fast. So we were just trying to be as death metal-like as we could um, without realizing that what we were doing was uh, going to be significant. Um, we were proud of it, that's for sure. And we were happy with it. But we, you know, we weren't so... We weren't able to, like, project into the future or become... We weren't very self-aware. We were very young uh kids um i couldn't see beyond you know a certain space and i don't think any of the other guys could so we didn't realize what we had there yeah um and so now you have the demo uh you you press up copies yeah um and you start i guess i guess you played the roxy fairly often i know right yeah we played that that club quite a bit we also I went there for just so many shows. I spent a lot of time there. So playing there was kind of great. Um, even though playing live for me at that point was very difficult. Like I was, I had much more anxiety, much more worry and stage fright. Uh, it was sort of a terrible experience for me <laughs> to, to, get, to get up on stage. Um, and I have a little bit of that now, too, but I get over it much more quickly. Um, but back then, being young and very shy and introverted, which I still am now, but back then I didn't have like any wisdom or experience to draw from. I was just terrified the whole time I was up there. <laughs> oh God, it sounds awful. Yeah, it was. It really was. Like Some people... Like they say, oh, I just I come alive when I'm on stage and I love it. And like, I do love it now and I do let loose. That's for sure. But back then, like, I'm like, nope, that's not how it is for me, dude, at all. <laughs> well, 
Uh, Matt, on the other hand, was a little bit more of a natural frontman, right? Yeah, kind of, because like he was very gregarious and personable, and a little bit of a clown, and so I think all those things added up to him being, or at least appearing to be more comfortable on stage, especially as like the front person. Um, so that was good for me, you know, cause I wasn't going to get up there and talk into the mic and then play guitar and all that stuff. You know, I was just up there playing guitar, hoping that Matt would <laughs> do his thing and I wouldn't have to worry about anything else. You know, I was already worried about, you know, Keith and Dave or Alex, you know, when he was in the band, like, I'm like, I hope these guys remember their parts and I hope this all goes off without a hitch. Um, so with Matt doing his thing, it was a little easier for me because he, yeah, he had his thing going on and that was good. Much, uh, it was good. <laughs> What's the difference between death metal shows back then and death metal shows now? Just in the, the vibe, the atmosphere, every, you know, things like that. Uh, well, they're still as poorly attended today as they were back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that that's sometimes true, as you know. Um, I think there was this sense of like a rising wave, like or we were riding a rising wave. Like there was like a palpable energy, not only at the shows, um, but also just in general, just being young and listening to death metal and part of a movement or a, a culture, whatever you want to call it, it was great, you know? So the energy of shows past, um, it felt maybe a little bit more electric and a little bit more new. Like it was just so fresh and very exciting in a way that not so the case nowadays which isn't to say it's not exciting or things can't be new or fresh um it's exciting it's definitely not fresh though <laughs> it's definitely not fresh yeah. you know i mean that's lost. um it gets lost because it's like it in, in a way it's all been done before yeah and that's not to say that there's nothing new under the sun or, or there's nothing great you know going on there's tons of great stuff death metal in a way is maybe more viable and creative now than it was even back then but shows maybe are just not quite as seemingly exciting if you if you know it's still a great time um but you know at the beginning of a movement you know like we'll call it the zeitgeist you know you feel that you feel that and there's still energy moving through people's bodies and minds today when they go to a show but it, it, it isn't the same and and i don't say that with any regret because that's just how things are to be fair most fresh things bother me to no end <laughs> so Dude, i i prefer to just have some some tried and true death metal or uh grindcore stuff it doesn't always need to be fresh to be solid no even... it doesn't have to be fresh i hope, you know, your, so I like... hope your socks are fresh over there <laughs> extremely fresh Moving along, then, um, uh, you guys are playing shows. Uh, Psychopathic Embryotomy is out and being distributed, but it's not too long later that the band disbands, right? Yeah, maybe a year plus later. We recorded Psychopathic in the summer of 94. And I remember it was, I don't know, late summer, 95. 
or early fall 95 where we we called it quits you know it just wasn't happening anymore so about a year plus a little year and three months i don't know just guessing what what led to the band breaking up um you know that you'd like to share well we were young and hot-headed and super opinionated and though we always bounced back from arguments and like disagreements um we were all maybe in a way at each other's throats um about how things should be or what the schedule should be like or what direction we should go in or you know maybe sometimes we got overwhelmed with like having to follow up this demo you know we were writing stuff for what i would consider to be like the first album that was never made um maybe there was a little pressure there even if it was unspoken and i I, you know i have to be honest here is that i was probably maybe the least easy person to get along with in the band um i was very like opinionated i would just sort of say that sucks you fucked that up that is not right (laughs) like i would be very quick to say that back then and like i got to i have to be able to see it from the other guys and you know their perspective that that was probably getting old really fast you know but i just i just had a, a way i wanted things and if people weren't doing what i wanted i would let them know so, um, but I, and I, I can't pinpoint the exact end or the reason for the band breaking up, but I believe Keith just said he didn't want to be in the band anymore. And that was just kind of it. You know, he was the drummer, you know, at that point it was like without a drummer, we don't really have a band. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I just went and I got my stuff from his house where we practiced and i never even thought about looking for another drummer i never even thought about like continuing on with someone else or another band like that when that when he quit that was it for me (laughs) it's funny because i you know maybe i was like too young to even to know what the right thing was but it never even crossed my mind to start another band it was weird i don't know why well you and dave jammed with a hardcore band right yeah after that um this was so this maybe would have been a year after that you know a year post after birth breakup he he had some friends who were you know my friends too to some extent just i didn't know them quite as well and they wanted to start a hardcore band and like i don't really listen to hardcore i don't know much of anything about hardcore at least back then i knew much much less um so i said well i'll give it a shot i'll i'll play what i think hardcore is you know uh (laughs) it's all anyone can ask yeah which ended up being when i think about the stuff i was writing for that band like just a weird eclectic mix it was definitely progressive in some ways i would think um and that that band was called no mankind and we were maybe together for like a year so we you know we wrote songs we made a couple demos and we played some shows and then you know that band just split up for whatever reason because it was just a band that maybe wasn't going anywhere or we didn't know if it was but then we just split up and did other things you know because you did you did that a lot when you were young you know you jammed with people for a little while and said okay i'm done with this i want to do something else yeah and and um did did matt ever do anything in the interim uh those i guess almost almost 20 years while um after birth was broken up 
You know, I don't know. I know he still had guitar. He still played his instruments. Um, I think he did jam with people here and there, but I didn't really keep in touch with Matt or Keith at all then. It, w- it was weird just to sort of like go back a little bit. Like once the band broke up, like two things happened. Like, so like I said, I didn't even think to start a new band. And then for whatever reason, I didn't continue or I didn't know how to continue a friendship with Matt because I had only ever known him being in the band. You know, so part of it was like, well, we're not in a band anymore, so I'm not friends with you anymore. Huh. And I don't know why I was like that. I really just don't know why. So I didn't keep in touch with him, and I don't know everything that he did. I, I can only assume that he jammed with people and that, you know, did this or that, but I don't I don't know of anything uh, specific or particular about yeah. his his musical sort of involvement with anybody or anything. All right. Well, I, I do know that at one point he had a band, I guess, with uh, Sal and Sal's brother, but that was short-lived. Uh, you know, just a little bit of lore there. Um, cool. I know that in the years between Afterbirth breaking up and Afterbirth getting back together, uh, you did move around a little bit uh, out of state, Cody. And one thing yep. I did want to ask you about is your experience in yoga which uh, a lot of people might not realize, in addition to being a brutal death metal guitarist, (laughs) you are a yoga instructor, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I, after after birth and a a few years on Long Island, I I moved out to Queens, and I was going to school in Manhattan, and I also lived in Brooklyn for a time. Uh, And then I moved back to Long Island again, and that was around 2002, 2003. Now, 2000 two or three whenever to 2005 i was sort of at a weird low point in my life i don't know what i was doing it was just sort of not great for me and then a friend of mine uh was telling me about uh yoga and how it helped her and this place that she went to at mass in massachusetts she volunteered and did yoga so um it was this huge yoga center and you could volunteer there you know you sort of sort of live there free eat there as long but you could volunteer and you know eat this wonderful food take these yoga classes do all this and that this was 2005 and going up there i discovered yoga and i was just sort of uh reinvigorated revivified i guess with my life and everything it got out of long island i left a lot of negative stuff behind and you know really just fell in love with yoga and just sort of dove head first into that you know, took uh, teacher training programs and then finally became a yoga teacher around 2007 um, and then pretty much did nothing but, you know, teach yoga or study yoga, you know, until like from 2007 to like 2015, 2016, kind of. Um, so that was like a huge part of my life, you know, almost 10 years, I guess you would say. Yeah. Um, and it was good it was like really a good thing for me to be doing that um and i never once thought about afterbirth (laughs) (laughs) you know weird you know like it was weird once afterbirth was over and all these other crazy wonderful things i did whether they ended up being good or bad like i never really once thought about afterbirth which is i don't know if that's odd is that odd do you think um it's probably odd to afterbirth fans but to you you know subjectively i you know obviously it's 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 not you know yeah Yeah. i mean i could get 
the idea of moving on from something that was like a huge part of your life just by having a uh, a worthy distraction. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, if I had maybe not been doing anything else with my my life um and just sort of living in the past and wanting, you know, the past to be the way the present was, maybe I could see, you know, <clears throat> living the dream trying to like resurrect afterbirth, but it was never a thing for me. But then, you know, it was all along those years, though, I would sometimes get a message uh, either through word of mouth or an email or even a letter sometimes would make its way up to me somehow. You know, someone someone mentioning afterbirth, you know, like either, oh, are you going to get back together? Or, you know, I saw your demo on eBay or this and that. And I was just like, who the fuck cares about any of this stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it was still pretty wild, you know, and like... I, I can't lie, like, I would have, like, a twinge of what if, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, like, you know, it was, there was nothing I could ever do about it. You know, like, imagine, you know, having moved on from something and then being in another state in a, with a new life and new friends and new people and then, like, you know, going back to how things were. You know, that's how it was. It's, like, not that I never did, not that I didn't want to. But I'm like, there's like no physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological way that I could, I could ever move back to the band. Like it just, there's nothing, no path that opened up for me to do that. Yeah. So I just kept moving forward, which was, that's how life is anyway, I guess. Wow. It's, I, feel, I feel like you're breaking down like yoga uh, uh, mantras for me right now or something. Man. <laughs> what, what did you, what would you say uh, are some of the things you've learned and some of the things you've been able to uh, build in your own life from yoga? Well, oh, see, you know, it's hard now that you're asking me this. Like, I don't have an answer. It's almost like the, it's like someone, you know, it's like, I know what time is, but when you ask me to explain it, I can't, you know, kind of a thing. Um, see, he's doing it. He's doing it right now. <laughs> he's doing it again. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, sorry, I guess. I don't know we all have like a deep inner life and we need to pay attention to it. And I wasn't paying attention to it all the time. Um, it's very, very beneficial to slow down, whether that's physically slowing down or mentally slowing down. Even if slowing down only means five extra breaths before you go into work or something like that, or it's counting to 10 and not losing your mind at <laughs> someone <laughs> and, <laughs> Or, you know, or, or if it's like listening to your gut, whatever your gut tells you. Um, and, I'll, you know, also, I don't know, like uh, the deep-seated connection that I do believe that we all have. You know, it's hard to really see that in this fucking horrendous, you know, joke of a timeline that we're in right now. But, <laughs> God. So, you know, yoga has helped me, you know, in many, many ways. And I don't know if any of that answers your question, but... Well, yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, you talk about in this day and age, uh, you know, our current society, current events, everything's crazy. Um, in that light, though, would you say that yoga kind of gives you at least a way to deal with these things um, proactively that, that are driving a lot of us crazy? I think it does. Um, I have a lot of despair uh, as much as anyone else, maybe more when I look and I hear and I see what's going on in the world. But... I do try to just step back and know that, well, I don't have to be involved in every argument and every protest and every discussion. And 
I'm doing okay in spite of what I see going on around me, even though like I'm not separate from what's going on around me. I am being affected by it in my own way. So I have my own suffering that's going on right now. Like we all do. Um, and in that way, like this is more Buddhist than yogic, but it's like, you know, existence is suffering. That's like the first noble truth, right. Of the Buddha. It's like, so I see all of this suffering, but I'm like, but existence is suffering, or so the Buddha says, you know, so I'm like, all right, well, this is what I've been told. <laughs> so I see it, and now I'm going to take some breath, and maybe I'm going to also try not to react and contribute to further suffering, either to a person on an individual level or on a societal level or, or whatever. Um, and sometimes, you know, I also got to say, like, you know, being a somewhat practicing yogi or whatever you want to call it, um, doesn't make me a perfect person. Like, if anything, it makes you realize and understand how much work you have to do. And it almost seems like you could despair more because you see, like, all the imperfections in your own body and in your own psyche and stuff. And it's, like, it's hard work. <laughs> well, I think that the same could be said of any um, self-reflective spiritual path. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of times when you talk about somebody being... Um, Whatever, whatever the religion is, whatever the path is, whatever the philosophy is, like that's supposed to make them perfect or somehow enlightened. But in really, it's a path uh, that someone has chosen to try to identify, you know, what's wrong with themselves and with and with the world around them. You know, so yes. I, I, I definitely I'll hear you on that. And I feel like we could kind of go down a wormhole on this, but I want to keep moving a little bit. Yeah, and, you move it along, man, because I could. Yeah, I, I could stay <laughs> here. I, I love this stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Will. I was ready to dive into that. And, uh, yeah, where we are now with our timeline, it's very easy to be kicking and screaming. But uh, it's good to step back, I suppose. Yeah. Look at look at the suffering for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and and kind of develop a um, kind of compartmentalized, I guess you could say, approach to it, where you, you know you can't you can't let your um, your emotional reactions to things control your entire life, you know, and um, and affect you that much. But um, yeah, you can't, you can't. Before, because I, I notice on the timeline, I believe this uh, happens before afterbirth reunites. You begin working on a project called Call Bear, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Funny talking about afterbirth, but um, yeah. So I have a very very good friend, Ben Rowe. I met him in New York when I was going to school and working at an art store uh, there we and we really bonded over art and music we actually ended up sharing a loft space in brooklyn for a couple of years and music was like our thing you know like connecting over music not making our own music but just we liked a lot of music um not death metal he's not a death metal person i'm talking like electronic music experimental music you know cut up noise ambient whatever um industrial and you know at one point, I was already up in Massachusetts, you know, sort of living the, the yogic era of my life, you know, more immersed in that. He had moved to New Mexico, which is, he had been there. I, I forgot if he moved back to New Mexico, or I don't remember where he was actually at that point, but he was like, let's just start a group. And I was like, sure. And I, we didn't even know where to start, you know, but I just was thinking, I want to make something cosmic sounding ambient sounding dark sounding electronic sounding i was like i think in one of my conversations to him i was like what would it sound like if boards of canada and brighter death now and i don't know um 
Scorn, you know, all got together and like made some crazy electronic ambient music. And that's sort of been like our thing, you know, just making a little bit of an or very a lot abstract stuff, almost like unapproachable in some ways, sometimes even unlistenable in some ways, just sound swirls of sound and collage. Sometimes it's guitar, sometimes it's samples, sometimes it's it's whatever. Um, it's a different monster from Afterbirth, but it's it's just as creatively satisfying, I guess. And it's nice to work with, you know, a different, another individual. You know, it's a, a totally different person, a different musician with a different set of values and a different sonic sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I believe your most recent release uh, was called Omen. Omen, um, yeah, it is, yes. On Peacock Window Recordings, uh, they have a band camp, and you have other releases going back to like 2012, if I'm not mistaken, Yeah, on like band camp. Yeah, our first album called Haunt, that came out in 2012, um, that was like our first foray into like making music together, and then we've had a lot of releases since then, you know, either a little EP or another full album, and one-off stuff sometimes we made stuff because we were asked to appear on a compilation and you know we're like well what do we have ben what do we have he's like well i got this i'll <laughs> I'll, volley, I'll volley it over to you and then i work on it then i volley it back and it's like okay it's done and then all right well i'll send it to the dude and the dude puts it out and like i never even like see the release you know i just it's out there somewhere um, <laughs> you just have faith that it's out there in the world somewhere. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I really love being in Colbert and making this music because it's really underground. It's like as underground as death metal used to be. Like, mm. there is no way that, like, I, I basically think of Colbert as being like ambient noise. And, like, some people don't even, like, what do you mean ambient noise? And I'm like, I don't know, just like listen to it. But, like, something can be ambient and noisy at the same time and to me that's very soothing but like this type of music be it ambient noise or noise or industrial or industrial ambient whatever you want to call it drill and bass like it will never ever be mainstream you know it will never <laughs> i don't know I, I think drill and bass had a little bit of time i mean apex twin popped up and uh kind of changed the world a bit yeah they had i don't know but you know like was that uh richard d james you know apex twin like yeah, I would never. I personally, I would never categorize him as drill and bass. Like, did he have those moments? Oh, sure. You know, yeah. I, I just like think think of him as like electronica. I guess. Yeah, I mean, they they and, kick around the IDM term, which I think him and uh, Square Pusher both openly detest. But uh, oh yeah, what uh, Tom Jenkins? You yeah, know, Tom those Jenkins, guys yeah. are amazing. Yeah, they're fantastic. Think, yeah, like Venetian snares. Like, I think that guy he took the idea of drill and bass <laughs> as far as like one could go. And I know there are others, but he's uh yeah. Venetian snares is hands down. My favorite love Venetian snares here. Yeah. The crossover. Like I feel like for the metal scene and like that style of music, he hit it out of the fucking park. Uh, oh yeah. Across so many albums. Like I, we did a whole episode about uh break core and to, I, be, to be fair, it could have just been about him. Could be uh, what is Aaron Funk, I think. Aaron, is that yeah. his name? Aaron, Aaron goddamn Funk. Funk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not to, I don't know, I just have to, you know, shout out to Venetian Snares and all those guys. It's like Chocolate Wheelchair album. Like, that album is just, like, so crazy. Like, and whatever, like, so many of his albums. He's got I was just listening to that one, like, three days ago. I just, yeah. yeah. Hand Throw, one of the... Hand Throw, like, that yeah. fucking song. Like, 
how do you get heavier than that? It's like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of death metal, and that's still probably one of the heaviest yeah, songs. I've shout ever out heard. to seven four. Yes, yeah. seven four four. Everything's in seven. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice little tangent we went off on there. Oh yeah. well, I got excited. You brought that up. Yeah, yeah and, and like, like Tom said, for the listeners, we did a whole episode. I think it was our first deep dive in the subgenre marine, perhaps. Yes. Um, yeah, if not one of our first, name. about break core, and you guys talked at length about Venetian snares. Um, but but so, so chronologically speaking now, we're getting back to the time where Afterbirth gets back together because the, yeah. la- the last recording with Matt Duncan is the 2014 demo. Could you take yeah. us to you guys getting back together? Okay, so... This is like so. Life is interesting, right? <laughs> so I told you. <laughs> I told you how like I never gave a thought to Afterbirth after we broke up, aside from like maybe a few late night twinges of regret, you know, after maybe a little bit too much to drink here and there. But um, again, you know, I think it was 2013, and not even thinking about Afterbirth. I was living in Texas at this point, you know, Austin, Texas. Life had brought me over there. Again, related to yoga, wasn't thinking about afterbirth or anything like that. Um, and then, so John Dwyer from Pathos Productions, you had mentioned that compilation earlier, Will. He reached out to me and just sort of floated the idea of, of putting out a release, you know, of our demos and some live stuff. Or maybe it was just the demos and the conversations led to wanting to include more stuff. And I said yes. And... Not that I was, like, the only member of Afterbirth, but I sort of thought of myself as, like, the authority on it, you know, at that point. Um, Because I know Dave would have been cool with it, and I hadn't spoken to Matt or Keith, so I was like, yeah, let's just do it. But then I said to myself, and I probably said this to John, too, I'm like, let me, in good faith, reach out to those guys, you know? I didn't want to be... I just didn't want to be that 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 rat you know <laughs> that sort of shady death metal character that we all know guys like that or girls like that i love rat um, who just take advantage <laughs> of the underground scene or musicians i just didn't want to be like that. i'm like let me get their permission it's the right thing to do yeah i think i yeah. thought it was you don't want to go round and round <laughs> yeah you don't want to be a wanted man no <laughs> <laughs> i don't um but you got to remember, I hadn't spoken to Matt or Keith in a, you know, since we broke up. I, I did run into Matt once or twice at some point here or there. But, you know, so it was kind of weird, like, you know, getting in touch with these guys and telling them about this. And they were fine with it. Um, but then through those conversations, it was sort of like, well, what if we practiced again? What if we jammed again? You know, huh. and it was just such a fucking crazy thought, but I, but I, my initial reaction was like, well, okay, you know, like, let's try it. Um, so I was living in Texas at this point, like I mentioned, I like flew back from Texas to New York a couple of times to jam with these guys, you know, and it ended up like working out pretty well. It was like pretty exciting. Um, this was before I was back on Long Island, so 2013. Um, you know, I was so nervous, um, because I hadn't seen Keith or Matt in some time. And also I didn't know, honestly, dudes, like prior to jamming and like getting ready to fly out there, I was like rehearsing the demo songs and like, I was slowly but surely like picking it up again. 
my my main worry was not being able to play those songs so much as like my thought was well what if we do get back together and decide to write new material i don't know how to play stuff like this anymore like meaning write material like that anymore mm -hmm. that was like a real thought you know for me a real fear um but once we jammed you know those couple times that fear was sort of put to rest because i thought to myself i don't need to play like i used to play like i have progressed a little bit i'm not going to say i'm so much better but i was a better player um and i'm like i'm just going to trust in this process and like whatever comes out like we're going to go with and then i decided to move back from texas to new york because i wanted to be with the band again and also i missed my friends and family that i hadn't seen them many 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 years um and then that was 20 early 2014 when i got back and we cut that demo you know late 2014 that tw uh the demo with four songs on it that matt appeared on that was like the last recorded works of matt duncan with afterbirth um i don't know where are we now i forgot what you asked me exactly <laughs> well no, that, that's exactly what i asked you was the band reforming and coming back to make that recording yeah. And, uh, you know, we've covered it. I, I did my own, like, in the whole interview a few weeks ago. Um, and and uh, it, it's it's common knowledge that, unfortunately, Matt has passed away. Yes. Um, and that Matt parted ways with Afterbirth after the 2014 demo. With, yeah. With, res with all due respect to him, rest in peace, and his privacy, I don't know how much you want to um, get into talking about that. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's right to talk about it. And I think it's good to talk about it um, just to let fans and friends know. Also, you know, it's like healing to talk about these things. So I think there was some, I don't know if they were irreconcilable differences, but like as we were jamming more um, after we reunited, you know, there were some like personality traits that I was seeing that I, I didn't remember from earlier in the days. And I was like, well, maybe I'm just older now and I see something that was always there. Um, so, th and there were some difficulties with certain conversations and certain ways of like where to take the band. And then also, you know, just certain behaviors that I thought were, I'm like, I'm an adult right now. I don't really need to be like going out the same way I used to. And like, you know, getting getting really hammered crazy and like possibly starting fights and getting into a lot of trouble. You know, those are things that, again, all due respect, you know, that some of that behavior was still going on with him. And I just thought it was distracting from the band. And sometimes we would practice and I would sense that maybe he wasn't really there. And I don't know if that was due to like chemical influences or something um but things were just like really i thought getting out of hand and then like one time we all got into like a pretty big fight at practice and I, you know matt got really like aggressive and like i just didn't like it and i thought to myself right then and there i'm like i can't be in a band with this guy anymore and it, it made me sad but things were just different and they were changed and i'm like and i don't want to or need to nor should i have to endure being in a band with someone that I feel like threatened by, like not just feeling threatened by, but actually being threatened by, you know, f verbally. I'm like, I'm over this. Like I didn't move back here to deal with this. 
Um, so me and Dave talked about it after this one particular incident, and we had a long, long night, dude, <laughs> a long night. Uh, and we just sort of decided that we need to ask him to exit the band, and we did. And that wasn't easy. Uh, we got a lot of flack from friends and fans about that. Um, I think some of it rightly deserved, not all of it, though. And <clears throat> that was rough. You know, that was a real rough time for everyone. The, the future of the band, you know, hung in the balance because there was even the sense that if we ask Matt to leave, the band itself might not stay together because the three of us, me, Dave, and Keith, we couldn't even agree on if maybe Matt leaving was the best thing and what we should do afterwards. You know, it was very precarious. But eventually, you know, he we did ask him to leave and we we kept playing we kept jamming and maybe that was that's an imperfect situation um but we didn't know what else to do i just know that i wanted to play i had sacrificed so much to come back to new york you know um so we were playing as an instrumental band for a little while at least a year or two you know i will you were at some of those shows and i wonder like what you thought about that I, you know? I actually booked you guys uh, on one of those shows, and I remember performing uh, with, I, I think it might have been Artificial Brain with Afterbirth. Yeah, Birth. RDB, yeah. Uh, obviously with Afterbirth now as an instrumental band. And yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, it was a weird feeling to see Afterbirth come back all these years. I missed the one New Jersey show that Matt did perform with you guys. Yeah. And now you guys are performing as an instrumental band without Matt. And I did feel as a fan, the vocals being one of the most important things to me, like, damn, that, that's, it's not, it's not 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I get it. And um, uh, it just was one of those things. I didn't see myself in any position. That, you know, I didn't know you guys personally at that point, um, you know, anyway, very well. We had just met, and I, you know, I was figured it's none of my business. It's not my point to question it, but uh, I wasn't even the one. There was a lot of people around me, and a lot of people in the local scene were like, uh, you know, are they going to get a singer? Are they going to get a new singer? Uh, Will you should be their singer? I heard, you know, and and like a few people, you know, saying that. Obviously, just because I'm like the other guy that does the frog vocals, and I've always <laughs> professed a love for Matt's vocals, and I was never the presumptuous one to say that I should try out for you guys or you guys should even get a new singer. I didn't consider it my place at all. Um, so I just, yeah, like I booked you guys. I think one time at Amityville Music Hall with Artificial Brain, and we played shows together, and yeah. I, I got to know you guys, um, and and it was cool, you know, and. Yeah, like you said, it's an imperfect situation which uh, life often hands us, and I I think I I went over in my in the whole episode from just a few weeks ago mm -hmm. the process of me joining the band, which was very slow going and um, take it as it comes, and you know we'll record an album, we'll see where that goes, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I listened to that you know just the other day actually, and it was fun to listen to because like you know like hearing it from your side of things. Um, but yeah, we were, it was an imperfect situation and I was trying to deal with it as best as I could. And, you know, I, I know that maybe there are things I didn't do that were great. I might've said some things that were, could have been said better or differently either to Matt or, you know, to the other guys. Um, but yeah, after, after the instrumental thing is cause I, I wasn't going to give up afterbirth just because of that, you know? 
But yeah, we did come to the realization because we were like shopping it to labels and just talking to people about it. The general consensus was, well, it's really good, but, you know, sort of it always came back to like, well, where are the vocals? Where are the vocals? And like as much as I wanted to like break through that wall and be like, we can do this without vocals, you know, it wasn't like uh, a hang my head and defeat sort of thing. I was just one day I was like, Dave, Keith, we got to get a vocalist like this is it. Um, so what's going to happen? And, um, I asked you, I had like a couple other people in mind, but I asked you first cause we had emailed a couple times and we had hung out at a couple of shows here and there. And I was a, a big fan of your vocals and artificial brains music. You know, I'm very much enamored with that band and all that they do. And I just, it seemed to be like the right fit to me. You know, I'm like, and it was like, I need to carry on Afterbirth's legacy and I can't shift to, or we can't, I shouldn't say I, we can't shift to a completely different style of vocals. Like, we do have to retain some of the old vocal stylings. And like, who can do that? And I'm like, well, Will can do that, so I'm going to ask Will. That was basically it. You know, I guess you could say uh, the rest is history, kind of. Um, uh, the uh, frog-throated glass slipper. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that don't give away the title of the next album now. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> so, and yeah, and you know, we did talk about, like I said, the listeners can go back and listen to, to my episode I did. You know, we, we were talked about the, the difference in recording vocals over Time Traveler's Dilemma, which was kind of presented to me as a, an already recorded piece of work, and Four Dimensional Flesh, which I was there for like, you know, every rehearsal more or less, and the yep. writing of the songs and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but maybe let's get your perspective now that we got you here and, and also, you know, to be respectful of your time and the listener's time, we, we do have to get to some of the listener questions, uh, that they oh, submitted yeah, okay. on social media, but just yeah. quickly because four dimensional flesh, we're very grateful has had a good reception in the brutal death metal scene. I think we can both say that without saying like we're bragging. Um, I, I just feel like the people that I care about, uh, the afterbirth fans, the brutal death metal fans, um, have uh, given us their approval in many ways these last few yeah. months, and we're very grateful for that. So maybe we could talk about four dimensional flesh. I'll, I'll kind of let like let you take the floor over uh, maybe what you were trying to accomplish in writing, as opposed to, to time traveler's dilemma and where you saw the band. Um, yeah. and maybe talk about those interludes a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, it was interesting because after we recorded time travelers even before you came into the fold, like me and Dave and Keith started writing material for the as yet to be named second album. Like we didn't waste any time, you know, we just like, we didn't, we didn't even have a late, we didn't even know what we were doing with this album that was already recorded. <laughs> and we're like, well, let's just write the, write the second album. I'm like, you know, constant like, writing. That's one thing I've seen in afterbirth <laughs> since I've joined is the writing never stops. Yeah. I mean, why not? It's like, I'm always like, <sighs> In, in the worst of ways, like, I'm always, like, haunted by my creative ideas. Like, they just don't let me sleep. But then I'm also, like, always just, like, it's, like, I don't know, like, riotous flowers. Just always, like, popping off <laughs> in, like, the garden of my mind or whatever, you know? So I'm like, well, yeah, let's just start writing more stuff. Um, the first two songs we wrote were Everything in Its Path and... Oh, I think Never Ending Teeth. Those are the first two songs we wrote for Four Dimensional Flesh. We didn't know it was going to be called Four Dimensional Flesh at the, that time. 
which is really interesting because I think those two songs like have so many progressive elements to it. You know, maybe they're some of the most progressive songs on the whole album. I, I mean, from my, from a band member's perspective, I think that. And those are the first songs we wrote, so it was weird, you know, right after Time Travelers, we wrote those two songs. And uh, some of the interludes were just, like, ideas I had, like, shooting around in my mind, or I would just play, like, this little ditty on my guitar before I really started playing, you know, each time I sat down. And they morphed into, like, pretty different like fleshed out versions than from like how they originally were when I just like jammed them at home or like in my head. But like, um, so what is it? Minimum safe distance. That's the interlude that came after, um, never ending teeth. Like I had no idea that that was going to come out sounding like that, you know, some weird, you know, uh, hyper color blur of, you know, almost like Voivod, meets Deftones something or other. I had no idea it was going to come out like that. It just sounded different in my head. And then, like, uh, Dreaming Astral Body, like that interlude, actually was an idea that came about from me and Dave just, like, jamming in his basement one one evening, one weekend. And it was just like, oh, that is really cool. We should play that. And... You know, so some of them, sometimes these things come about really easily and naturally. Other times they're, they go through a process, you know, they, they don't turn out anything like how you originally thought they would. Um, so all in all, like, I never really had any intention. I don't think we ever had any intention to make like a particular statement, you know, with the album, but I do like cohesion. Um, I do like things to sort of fit together. It's the same thing with like call there, like my ambient stuff too. I just, I kind of like neatly stitched together ideas, even if it's just like sort of like loosely stitched together, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not, um, not disjointed, but still like, um, allows for variation and unexpected natured things to appear but um also lacks predictability i don't know yeah exactly you know we could we could say that um and just sort of jumping back a little bit to time travelers i don't want to take up too much time here but you know i always think this is really funny because the time travelers dilemma the way it came about was so interesting like a lot of practice a lot of jamming a lot of blood sweat and tears and the interlude that's actually titled The Time Traveler's Dilemma was just a title. It was just a title for that interlude. Nothing else, nothing more. But, like, I presented, like, the sonic structure to the guys, and we jammed it out. And then I was talking about uh, titles, and I told Dave, I think, I'm like, and I, th- I think this one's going to be called The Time Traveler's Dilemma. And he, I remember he really liked it. Like, just something changed in his face, and he's like, yeah, that's awesome. And then from there, I was like, we should just call the album that, you know? So, like, right in that moment, this whole universe was, like, born. You know, we didn't set out to make, like, a science fiction thing. It was just from that one title, we sort of squeezed it into something, into, into sort of a mold, not forcefully squeezed it. And it was sort of the same thing with four-dimensional flesh, you know? Like, there's... 
we're just sort of gently prodding it and pushing it into a particular space, not forcing it into a particular space. Yeah, um, sounds about right to me. <laughs> to, sum, <laughs> to sum up, um, and uh, yeah, man, I just want—I didn't want to get through the whole interview when people say we didn't even talk about the albums and that sort of stuff. We're just—we are—we do have to be sensitive of time and our format. And I did field some questions on social All media, right. so we're going to go into that quickly before I ask you to recommend our albums, um, and we let you go. But. Um, uh, first of all, from Facebook, from the Heavy Hole Podcast Facebook page, uh, first one, Colin Klunder uh, asked, what happened that essentially reactivated Afterbirth in 2013? And I feel like we've covered that. Um, I think we ha- I think we have. Yeah, was- I, I don't want to leave him hanging, but I feel like we kind of got into that. You were in Texas, you reconnected with the boys, um, and it just kind of worked out. Uh, yeah, exactly. Garrett Partain, shout to Garrett, asks... How do you think death metal will evolve in the years to come? I saw that question. Um, I can't really predict. Um, as we know, death metal follows. In, there's a part of death metal that like likes to follow trends. Um, so we can we can obviously like sort of like extrapolate that death metal will continue to follow trends. But I am nowhere near like smart enough cognizant enough or like prescient enough to know like what trends those will be and if they'll be any good um but like in a bigger sense like i know that the evolution of death metal will just continue like death metal has been around for a long time i mean you guys can agree and i feel like somehow it's managed to stay around and though there's like little peaks and valleys here and there where it seems like it might disappear or it might come back real strong i just think death metal is here to stay just like any other form of music and it has this real like strong quality to it that allows it to evolve like not all music can evolve you know like new metal let's just say new metal like new metal came and went it wasn't strong enough to evolve it didn't have like whatever particular qualities you know, uh, to keep moving forward. It, it, it came together, you know, like into some conglomeration, new metal did, and then it like dissolved into its disparate parts and is gone. Death metal came together and stayed in a cohesive mass. And that mass started growing. And then it started sending out little tendrils and arms. And then from that mass, certain like little monstrous satellites sort of break off and they start to get even bigger you know what i mean like it just keeps on evolving and i don't know how it will evolve but it will yeah yeah uh good good analogy man um uh and moving along tyler craig uh shout to tyler uh says what non-metal slash punk genres do you enjoy listening to oh well we touched upon this a little bit like with call bear like the music i make like it's like ambient noise like so okay let me tell you straight off the bat like in a way i'm like the biggest poser yeah like most of my long-term time fans are gonna hate me like i listen to metal but like i listen to way more like ambient music like death ambient death industrial like noise music now more than that's just been like my thing for like so long like i hate to say it's like my thing it's just like i just feel like that music is sort of like home to me 
this like unlistenable like huh. noise sometimes just makes me feel like very comfortable um but of course i also listen to like the very soothing electronic ambient sounds like not everything i listen to is like destructive sounding in nature like no one no one can just listen to like music like that all the time allegedly um, allegedly you know <laughs> and you know i don't mind the occasionally well-crafted pop song or whatever be it old or new the other day i for like two days straight before i didn't listen to anything but frank sinatra and you know <laughs> and then you know some i i attempted to listen to that new taylor swift album because like that's all anybody was talking about because the album cover looks like a black metal album cover it's not black metal guys let me tell you um <laughs> but you. i think we're clearing that up I yeah i'd just like to give things a shot you know even if i know i'm not going to really like it that much but you know um all right. Well, well, thank you for sparing um, me having to listen to the new Taylor Swift. Yeah, you don't. You don't, please. Maybe I could uh, interject here with uh, a Twitter question we got for you. Okay. Um, maybe you can answer this. Maybe you can't. But uh, from, from a Cody, I hope this isn't you and you're just asking yourself a question. No, I, that is not. No. Okay. No. Uh, so, I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> all right. So uh, is there a chance that uh, you have an opinion on this? What do you think of the new Defeated Sanity album? Oh, it's great. I got it the other day, just digital. I haven't bought like a physical variant of it. Poser. Um, <laughs> what's that? Poser. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yo, I'm, I like digital music. Don't, you know, that's just me. But I, I have. Right. A, Afterbirth breaking up, you heard it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I have a, I'm sorry. a growing cassette uh, collection, though. You know? Okay, we're back together. Yeah, right. I know. I'm sorry. Talk about Defeat Sanity. I'm sorry. So I haven't like been able to fully absorb it yet because it's just sort of like mind-boggling and it's a little mind-numbing at the same time, which is the point of it all. Um, it's it's pretty complex, you know. Like it's hard to wrap my mind around it, except for in small doses. I love its intricacy. I love um, how it's. Uh, how well thought out it is like it's not like a jumbled bunch of noise and riffs thrown together like it's it's like it's thought out it's mapped out that's exactly what it is it's like mapped out technical death metal um with other elements to it like it has a jazzy element that i see people throw that word jazz around and i fucking hate it <laughs> but like it's you know it's a little bit like that um it, it's progressive in the way that it doesn't sound like progressive death metal like like it's not like genesis old school 70s <laughs> genesis playing death metal progressive but it's progressive because it's taking death metal forward so this even f ties into like death metal's evolution that question before like this is the evolution of death metal in a way this new defeated sanity album is it like the only evolution is it the top of the evolutionary chain it's pretty high up there um so it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yes, I agree. Uh, I have that in vinyl flex. Oh, flex. Oh, okay. I, well. I, I'm a total poser. I didn't buy it. I'm oh. only getting the digital. I'm with you. Good. All right. Cool. I'll, yeah, see? It's always with me, man. It's always in my phone. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm only going to go to Starbucks and switch it up on their Spotify uh, PA system <laughs> thing. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Justin, did you have any uh, IG uh, questions? 
Yeah, we had a couple. I feel like we, we covered them. Um, so, Syrup Head Recordings, our boy. Yeah. Uh, he he's, he wanted us to ask you about your noise projects. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think we kind of talked about that too, but I'll just rehash it. Yeah. Well, there's one. Didn't you just recently release a, 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 a project just by yourself? In addition okay. to Colbert. Yeah. So there's there Colbert. That's with me and Ben, my good buddy Ben Rowe. I have a number of Cody Dresser like ambient type solo stuff, and I just need to qu- clarify. When I say ambient, like people have like a misrepresented idea of what ambient is. So like like leave those notions of ambient at the door. You know, it's not new age, it's not sparkly, it's not keyboard, <laughs> it's nothing like that. Um it's hard it's not always pleasant ambient. Um and then I have I just sort of created a couple of long playing tracks that weren't call bearer. I didn't want to throw over to Ben. And I didn't think it was, um, it wasn't a Cody Drasser solo thing either. So I, I had this name kicking around for a while. I decided to call it Shrike Totem. And I haven't like officially like released anything under the Shrike Totem moniker, but I will soon. That's all I can say. Um, I hope soon. I'm trying to like maybe put out some physical releases as well as. I did contribute to a compilation, a digital-only compilation that hasn't been put out yet, uh, with a, a strike, uh, a section of a long strike totem track. So that's, I guess, that's it for the, the ambient and the noise stuff for me at the moment. Some stuff you got to dig for, some more underground yeah. stuff. There's a, you know, I got a couple other things in the works that I don't think we can really talk about here. I don't really want to talk about here because it's not, it's not quite there yet. Yeah, but there yeah. there will be more, you know. I definitely respect that, you know. But that's uh, that's always a good teaser, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll just stay want to tuned. hear that. Yeah, stay tuned. You got more coming. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had one more question on Instagram. Um, I feel like you touched uh, on pieces of this, but let, let's shout them out anyway. This is uh, at Gurgling Gore on Ooh. Instagram. <laughs> yes. Uh, nice. He wants to know if you shopped around uh, psychopathic embryotomy uh, around any labels, and if that generated interest in afterbirth as a result and he follows it up with uh wanting to know what the eventual nail in the coffin was for the band back in 95 um when we recorded psychopathic we were really mainly just sort of pushing it as a band that put out a demo cassette on our own i i don't know maybe i was just too young i just i really didn't know how to go about operating within like you know the musical field in in insofar as like talking to a label you know booking a tour cutting an album for a, a label yeah like i had no idea how to do those things so i didn't really pay attention to those things i don't think matt was either um it probably i was too young you know and you, when you're young you're naive and you're also like ignorant in the truest sense like i had no idea what to do or how to do it so i don't I didn't shop the demo to any labels. Um, and uh, the eventual nail in the coffin, I, I think I mentioned it, but it was basically just a lot of infighting and me just acting like a dick. And Keith just wanted no part of it. <laughs> so that was it. Um, that was the end of it in 95. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no course really to take. It's kind of like pro wrestling back in the day. 
trying to get in. You don't know what to do with this demo once you have it. You just try and give it out to some people. You know, if anybody's interested, just as many hands as possible. Hopefully, yeah. you know, and you hope it finds in, in the right hands that can give you money for it. But uh, yeah, there's no like playbook to really follow, at least back in the day. There's not. There's no playbook now. There's just like what bands have done in the past. So I, all I knew was after we recorded Time Travelers, even though we were vocal less, sans vocalists, like vocalists, I guess you could say. I was like, well, I think the thing to do is to shop it to a label. So, you know, I compiled the tracks digitally and, you know, with links for people to hear them. And I sent them out to various labels. And Unique Leader was one of the labels, the, one of the labels that said yes. Some other labels were really, really interested in us. Um, but it never went so far as them saying yes and sending us a contract. But Unique Leader... Uh, and Eric Lindmark at the time who rest in peace he passed away a couple years back he just jumped on it right away sent over a contract and like it was actually pretty easy I wish it could have been that easy in the past (laughs) (laughs) he's a man of good taste yeah I guess so it was uh, yeah it was it was great kind of getting to work with uh, Eric you know not that I knew him very well personally but it was it was an honor to work with him before he had uh, passed Um, yes and, and on that note I, uh, the, the last Facebook uh, question I have is going to kind of serve as a segue here because uh, we do have to be respectful of your time and get into the recommendations. Um, Death Metal Warrior, Jesse Denton. I love this guy. Oh, yeah. He's, he's hilarious, man. Uh, shout out to Jesse. I've talked death metal with you on a lot of posts and you know a lot of shit. What are some of your favorite super obscure releases, demos maybe, you think more people should hear? So... Maybe if you just want to quickly shout out like uh, two or three demos, but then, then then transition right into your old and your new recommendations for us too. Yeah, well, actually, I saw that question too, and I might know some stuff, but I certainly don't know everything, and I feel like I'm more of a poser <laughs> and an ignorant, you know, <laughs> member of the community than most people like i i don't know like i do know some stuff and now i'm like blanking on a lot of it but uh what i just wanted to go into like my my old recommendation yes yeah. um and jesse denton probably knows this one and many i'm sure some people do i don't know how obscure it is but i'm gonna recommend this because it was part of afterbirth's uh upbringing and like participation um, and this is a, of an older Long Island band. When I say older, I mean it was like with us in the, the early death metal years, a band called Necrosis. And they had a demo out, a 93 demo, is called Eternally Hanging Dead. And these guys, I was hanging out with them a lot back in the day when Afterbirth was forming. And I kind of like, they were the same age as me, so when I say I looked up to them, it wasn't that they were older or knew more than I did, but they were more intertwined and involved with like more established bands like Pyrexia and Internal Bleeding. Uh, so I sort of wanted to like become more friendly with them, so I could become more friendly with those other bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know how it is when you know you're yep. you're com- when you're coming up in the ranks. That's what it was. I'm coming up in the ranks, and I see these bands hanging out with these bands i'm like i just want these bands i just want to be friends with these guys and i want to play shows with these guys because we share a common passion and i feel like there's camaraderie there Um, but this band necrosis from long island new york 
uh, Eternally Hanging Dead, their 93 demo, was, I think, a little or a lot different than what the classic New York sound was or is. Um, they weren't necessarily like a brutal death or a slam death metal band. Like They were not like that at all. They had a two vocal attacks, so... Uh, very much like a carcassy sort of thing. One sort of raspy high, one sort of gurgly low, though not quite like Bill Steer low, you know what I mean? And uh, the guitars were fast and maybe kind of thrashy when I think about it now, but they really had little in common with like internal bleeding or pyrexia or suffocation or afterbirth. I really think they had their own thing going on. Um, every guy in the band was pretty great. The bass player, John Pangburn, was really this incredible bass player. He had sort of like a clangy, metallic sort of sound that cut through uh, the buzzing guitars. Um, so it was like special in that regard, because at that point I felt most bass players in death metal didn't need to even be there, if you think, <laughs> if you follow me. Um, like, I'm not, you know, sorry, not sorry. It's like, you know, if you're only going to, like, play exactly what the guitar is playing and you're out of tune and I can't hear you, then I don't fucking care, you know? <laughs> well put. Yeah. 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 I, not you know, right. I mean, it's not wrong. Yeah. No. <laughs> that, that's why I'm saying it. Like, if I was saying it just to be contrarian and to be an asshole, that would be one thing. But I'm like, <laughs> it's just what it was. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really thought they were special. They had one, that one demo. And I'm not trying to flex here, but I did the cover art and I did the logo to it because um, we had become friends and they saw that I had some artistic talent. They said, would you mind? I was like, not at all. That's a good flex right there. Yeah. yeah. And we played some shows together and I really, really liked these guys. And we even shared a studio space for some time. Um, and they were writing, and I think had, they had recorded like their debut album. They were going to call it Symptoms, which I thought was such a great title. And I, apparently the dude who ran the label that they were going to be appearing on like ran off with the masters, oh. with the only recordings of this Jeez. album, along with like a couple other bands uh, on this label, like Tyrant Trooper had recordings with this guy. Drogada, you know, another sort of like death metal grindcore yes, band. Yes, Drogada. Yeah, so that's like, that's an obscure, those two bands are obscure bands, you know what I mean? Um, Amazing to think that, because bands that record everything digitally nowadays, you, you, you can't picture that, like you record everything, and when we interviewed Frank Rini of Internal Bleeding, he talked about uh, members of the band having to go to Florida to oversee the mix and all this stuff, you're physically sending reels plays, it's just crazy to think how it's changed. It's nuts, you know? So this band was real special. I, we played with them a bunch, hung out with them a bunch. I thought they were, I'm like, this, this band has to do something big. And their album, I really thought was going to be amazing because they would play like new songs live and it would like just blow my mind. And I was like, these guys are so good. And then the album disappeared and I guess they went on a hiatus or broke up and one of the members passed away early, you know, young, sort of tragic death. And that was the end of that band, man. Wow. Wow. So that, I, that is a recommendation. I know some of that stuff is on YouTube. Um, it, it is. I, I verified that it was before, the, before our conversation because I didn't want to recommend something that someone couldn't find. Yeah, you know? I, I never want to do that, man. You don't want to do that. 
Um, wow. Well, yeah, I, and I kind of had a feeling you were going to talk about Necrosis because you and Dave always bring that band up. It's like the, the hidden legend. It's kind of like how I always used to bring up Afterbirth to people. Ah, um, I mean, I hate to be even so predictable that I even talked about it, but I just feel so passionate about this band. And yeah, yeah. I wish there would have been more from this band. I really do. You know? Yeah, well, it's one of those forgotten like legends in death metal. Um, but switch, switching gears a little bit, before we wrap up, could you give us uh, a new recommendation? Yeah. The, you know, if you ask me this tomorrow, I'm going to give you a different answer. If you ask me next week, I'm going to give you a different answer. But I was thinking, like, what's something that came out in the last few years, something that I listen to a lot? Like, I'm not trying to flex. I don't want to say something just because I think people want to hear about it. You know what I mean? Um, so I was thinking about albums that sort of moved me or I, I listened to, like, you know, more than, like, 50 times, you know? And that's, like, I mean, how many albums can you say you listen to more than 50 times? Like, mm -hmm. probably a bunch, but, like, huh. not that many, you know? It's tough nowadays. <laughs> there used to be only 50 death metal bands in the world. <laughs> I know. But um, I believe this album's from 2015 or maybe 2014. I don't know. Um, the band is called The Contortionist. And oh. this particular album that I'm talking about is called Language. Yep. And I didn't know this band from Adam back in the day. But I was just at, in this particular period of my life... Um, I heard this song uh, by them. I saw a video, and I'm forgetting the name of the song now. It's like language, uh, language A, that first track on it, something like that. Um, the actually, the video now I'm remembering is called Pri Primordial Sound is the name of the song. I saw the video, and I was just like really entranced by it, and I didn't know this band from anyone else, and it like stirred something in me. Like I can't, you know when something is moved in you when you hear music? Mm -hmm. and it's like it's it's inexplicable and like i was almost moved to tears i have to say when i heard this particular song and i bought the album and the whole album like moves me in a way that i can't really say why it's like ghostly and mysterious and you know before this album i think the band was kind of like a death quarry type band they had a different vocalist, and I, I even like listened to some of like their first one of their albums, Exoplanet. I'm like, I don't think it's that special. It's okay. So like they they got a new singer, and I you know I wasn't aware of this when I heard the album Language. I just it was like, oh, this is their vocalist, you know. Yeah. But they went. Um, yeah, they went. Shout out to uh, Mike Lassard. He's the uh, vocalist. He joined on that album. He used to be in a band called Last Chance to Reason. Yeah, uh, yeah. We did a little touring with them. Great the day, awesome band. Uh, he he took the contortionist to the next level. Yeah, he, he's like the like so much of the reason why they have that ghosty, very like emotional, um, emotionally like grabbing. Uh, it's sound driven. Yeah, it's emotionally driven. It feels it's heartfelt to me. You know, you know the music combined with his vocals and it's progressive. It has like a lot of open, airy, almost ambient parts to it, you know, and it feels very spiritual to me. And they taught his lyrics, I think, are very spiritual, his own version of spirituality. Um, so yeah, 2015, I just I stumbled upon that album and it really moved me. And I have listened to that album so many times. Like I, I am in love with that album. Like that would be like a desert island disc 
or vinyl disc, you know, album for me. Tape. You know. <laughs> yeah, tape, you know, cassette tape. You know, yeah. although I have to admit, like, that is a, an album that, it, like, clarity means everything. So I appreciate, like, the very clean production. Like, it really brings everything to the fore. I don't know if cassette would be, like, the best format for that album. Well, Psychopathic but, Embryotomy is the beginning of my tape fetish, so... <laughs> I, I don't. Hear, I don't want to hear shit. <laughs> Little side story. It's funny about the contortionist because, like, I feel like Tom and I were playing in shitty deathcore bands when they were also a, uh, like a weird shitty deathcore band, and yeah. seeing their name around, and then we switched to like a different sound around the same time that they did, or a little bit before that they they did, and hearing that record that they came out, it was like, whoa. You just listened to Tesseract one time and got this new vocalist, and it's like you guys fucking killed it with this new sound. Yeah, it was kind of fun to listen to. It's so good, and I'm I'm glad I didn't know anything about them before that because I had nothing riding on anything. You know, I just heard one song and I was like, this band is meaningful to me already. So I'm glad I didn't know the backstory. Yeah, that's right. Killed it. Well, uh, to be fair too, like for the amount of. Um the amount of shitty deathcore that was coming out at the time, they were not like a terrible deathcore band. They I did some technical that. cool shit. Yeah. Like, you know, it, this was not, they didn't just, they weren't like pond scum and figure out how to make this ethereal music out of nowhere. No, they know? weren't like Attila. Yeah. No. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I say that you know, the most like, endearing uh, term, yeah. You know, yeah, because like that talent just doesn't come out of nowhere. Like if you don't have it, like you won't have it. 100%. Like, so it was like it was like nascent, you know, within them inside of like an egg somehow, and then it like the egg cracked and like a a weird multi tentacled hydra squid came out and like that was, was you know. <laughs> it's beautiful. Save, that was it. Save the lyrics for me, man. I got to do something. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, yeah. I gotta, well, I, just I, take it and run with it, Will. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually that's actually the afterbirth formula now. Is you guys come up with the concepts and the titles, and I write the lyrics. We talked about that. So, I think it works. Yeah. Uh, so I think it works, and I hope. You know, I hope. I hope that it's like I'm a welcoming enough democratic environment. You know, I'm fostering a lot of resentment over it, but it's all right. Yeah, we'll, we'll oh, okay. just like why don't you cool it on yeah. the words, man? I thought we talked about this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, uh, uh, contortionists and necrosis. Uh, yeah. We'll definitely have to check uh, for both of those bands. Uh, Cody, we've had you on the hook here for a while now. I felt like we went in depth on uh, afterbirth, on yoga, on um, ambient dark uh, things that scare me a little bit, uh, all, all sorts of stuff, man. And we really appreciate your time tonight, man. Uh, it was good talking to you, and I'll be seeing you at rehearsal soon coming up, man. Uh, just anything else you want to say um, to listeners of the show, uh, afterbirth fans, or anyone else? I, I don't really have anything in particular to say. Uh, uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a long time coming. I know, you know, Will, you and I have talked about me being on the show for some time, and I'm glad that even amidst, like, the, the, the chaos of the pandemic, um, that we are able to hook it up via Skype, and that, you know, we're finding a way in this, in yeah. this lifetime. Yeah. You know, yeah, so there are, there's always an alternative. And I guess I'm just going to end by a, a quote from This is Spinal Tap. So, uh, Viv Savage, he's the keyboardist in Spinal Tap. He says, "Have a good time, all the time." So I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, that makes me think of Keith. That quote, Keith from Amber. Yeah, <laughs> I'm channeling my inner Keith. You know. <laughs> yeah, man, have a good time all the time. All right, man, uh, Cody. We again, like, we appreciate all of your time, and uh, I had a good time all of your time. 
And, um, you know, for the listeners, obviously, Afterbirth is the band, uh, Time Traveler's Dilemma, and Four Dimensional Flesh are the albums that uh, I'm going to be talking about incessantly on my podcast in a uh, fit of egotistical self promotion. <laughs> As usual, uh, Call Bearer, C A U L B E A R E R, if I got that right, is the. That's uh, right. Uh, the more experimental, uh, atmospheric, noise type of project that you participate in for many years now with lots of releases. Um, and, and I'm sorry, what was the other one, the Totem one? Uh, Shrike Totem. I would have got it right if I, if I attempted it. Uh, Shrike Totem is the one to look for. Um, and uh, Cody Dresser, thanks a lot, brother. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, friends. I really appreciate it. I will talk to you all soon. And uh, sleep tight and be well. Huh. Thanks, Cody. Uh, thank yeah. you, man. Have Catch a good one, man. All right, later. Bye now. Later, dude. Great to talk to uh, my friend Cody, man. I n- never thought I'd talk to that guy. Get to, get to pick his brain. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Finally. Me, Finally. Imagine wow. me talking to Cody from after. Okay, come on. What a get. You know, no, good good guy. And like I said, you know, I get to talk to him all the time. When I joined the band, I was able to kind of pick those guys' brains and be privy to the history. And I'm trying to share that with some people who I thought uh, you know might be interested by that. Um, so I was glad we could get Cody on the line, man. Shout out to him and the rest of the Afterbirth guys. For sure. Um, you know, always always enjoy working with those guys. Um, I do enjoy working with you guys, but that's not the only reason I hang out with you. It's because you always keep recommending me all this new stuff, all right? Right. So, you know, before I go tonight, we got to get something in, all right? As soon as the recommendations stop, we stop hanging out. Yes. So we're going to keep doing them. I came all the way out here. Turn me on to something cool, all right? <laughs> Come on. All right, check it out. I'm not giving you something new. It's Well, it's new to me, but... Uh, we're going back to 1990. Okay. Uh, we got the No Spiritual Surrender 7-inch EP by the band Inside Out. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, so Inside Out was recommended to me by, uh, by a good friend of mine. We were just shooting the shit on some, um, you know, because I've, I've kind of been going back in hardcore history just for myself, figuring out why I like the music I do now. And I, I'm not as versed in, in, uh, in the origins of hardcore as I am in, say, the origins of metal. So Inside Out is something really cool uh, to me that I've been pumping. Uh, West Coast fucking youth crew, uh, hardcore punk that focuses on, that's focused uh, kind of in the same sonic footsteps as bands like Minor Threat and Bad Brains. Um, That fast-paced, upbeat, uh, nothing too fancy riffs, but spiritually and culturally charged lyrics. Uh, For me, they create just the right like stage dive vibe, uh, skateboard vibe, fucking... Fuck the police vibe, you know what I mean? Uh, now, this is one of the more like overlooked important staples in hardcore, uh, mostly because of the, the name factor of some of its members. Most notably, uh, we got, you know, people from Chain of Strength, Gorilla Biscuits, uh, Drive Like Jehu, and oh uh, yeah, uh, the singer is Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> Man, so, that's, this is so funny. I yeah, love it. It um, 
I feel like his success totally overshadowed this, and 95% of people who listen to Rage Against the Machine have no idea who the fuck Inside Out was. And uh, I was guilty of that until uh, I got turned on to it, and I fucking love it. So I want you to love it too. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I always kind of knew about this. I remember people talking about this for, for years, because obviously it's, it's pretty old. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there were certain people, um, like in the hardcore community, I guess, the underground scene, who, knew, who always knew about this and would bring it up when Rage Against the Machine got uh, notoriety back in the day. It's, uh, you know, not, not my neighborhood of music at all yeah. not my type of thing really but um i i gotta say I, I, I listened to it today you know as we do when we recommend stuff and um i do see why you picked it man the musicianship and the production is pretty tight it's you know for for stuff like this that i don't normally listen to i i, re- I enjoyed this and i'm not a big raging it's the machine fan either but i you know zach was obviously doing a different vocal style uh during this so um, you know, if you're into like that kind of old school uh, West Coast hardcore, I yep. guess, uh, yeah, th- this would probably be a good, good thing to check out, man. You know, it's uh, it's come back big, I think, in in the UK. There, there's a lot of bands that uh, I see I could trace back to, to this band now that I've heard it. Um, and that's what's fun about finding old shit. bringing in a new one tonight kind of dropped the ball on this because it came out in uh, april april of this year this is the uh, new caustic wound the album death posture what a fucking name oh uh out on profound war records yes, uh, a sir. lot of people talking about this one yep yep and um we're talking about it right <laughs> yeah, exactly that's that's me dropping the ball and the uh <laughs> so uh, you know i mean dropping the ball all I want to say, like, April's, what, like, two months ago now, three months ago? In this day and age, with the saturation level, what it is in extreme music, you can't expect people to keep up with everything Yeah, week to week, how it comes out. Like, even, like, these, I mean, I can't even imagine doing a, a top ten of the year list nowadays, let alone these people that do, like, top ten of, like, the, the first half of the year. Like, it's only yeah. been six months, and people are already making these crazy lists, halfway lists, man. Like, how do you keep up with this stuff? Yeah. So, Tom, I don't yes. begrudge you not knowing that this came out yet. Thank you. Right? I appreciate it. Uh, you know, sorry sorry, you have other things in your life, you know. I, my bad. It, it, is, it is sad. Anyway, this album fucking rips. Some death grind. Uh, super, super fat mix. Got all kinds of deep beats running through it. Oh, uh, yeah. these, these guys are from Seattle. Three of the members are from... Mortiferum, uh, bassist Tony Wolf and guitar players Max Bowman and Chase Slaker. The drummer, Casey Moore, he's from uh, Magruder Grind. I think mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I probably said that wrong. But Sounded good. I, be- I, know I believe you got it right. I believe yeah. you got it right. But that band rips. And um, the vocalist, Clyde uh, Lindstorm, he's from uh, Cerebral Rot and Fetid. So you have a stacked lineup. Yeah, yeah a bit of a modern super group for the underground scene, man. Yeah. For sure. Um, so. One thing that I really stood out to me with this release is that the bass tone, it controls the entirety of the mood here. There are parts where the guitars drop out and the drums and bass are just playing, and that's when you have enough contrast to realize how much the bass is 
putting into this. Like the guitars almost seem like ancillary. Um, they are important, but man, the bass just drives it and it gives us this awesome tone. So yeah, it's like really a drum and bass kind of experience for me. Very grind. I guess that's kind of like a, um, if you fattened up old Napalm records, that's kind of what we got here. But also the songwriting is very, very much in line with old Incantation. I don't know if I w- I'm going to go with full caveman on this, though. There's a lot mm. of odd time signatures here. Yeah, no, it's not mm. quite caveman. What I, um, like I really enjoyed age, this, Tom. I, yeah. I didn't want to jump all over you, Tom. No, no, please. <laughs> um, I held back a little bit, but I really enjoyed this. I also, I'd seen the name floating around. I'd been meaning to check it out. Um, you know, and it is on Profound Lore. Shout out to Profound Lore for putting this out. It kind of gave me, although it's completely different once you turn on the album, um, a little bit of a flashback to when we talked to, uh, or talked about rather, Pissgrave. Yes. Uh, and their album that came out like very early on in our podcast uh, career here. Um, because it has the real gore imagery and it is on Profound Lore Records. I got to say, I really love uh, what Profound Lore is doing. I'm not just saying that because Artificial Brain works through Profound Lore um, and some of my friend's projects do, but he, he manages to curate some really interesting projects um, that I'm not involved in in any way. And this is one of them. Uh, this brought me back to like the glory days of late 90s gore grind in a lot of ways. I, I didn't really hear any pitch shifter vocals. Uh, I'll give it another run through, but that was the only thing that I guess separated this from like your more classic gore grind like Dead Infection or Regurgitate or I don't know, Neurovisceral Exhumation, all these bands that we used to listen to back in the days. And this sounded like it would have been right there. It just had a special spark in it that some gore grind releases miss. There's no humor. There's no like lighthearted silliness to it. It's like a straightforward. It reminded me a lot of early Carcass of Rika Putrefaction. Yeah, I got that too. Um, and the old school gore grind, like maybe even when, when you think about in the past, I've talked about some of that uh, like real seminal old school Brazilian gore grind, like um, sarcastic and rotting flesh. This just has that quality, like you said. The bass really drives it. And um, again, I'm going to bring up Carcass Rika Putrefaction. This is just it's just classic gore grind. And it's interesting if you look at the lineup because it's kind of people that have been responsible for um, uh, maybe a little bit of a resurgence in grindcore with Magruder Grind with the drummer. I'd say you know uh, they they were doing something with power violence and grind, and they they really made a, a run of it um, you know for themselves. And uh, with the other bands that the other guys have been involved in, you're talking about names that are pretty powerful in this modern quote unquote OSDM scene. So I like the fact that they have a very true roots gore grind project going on. I'm a little, I'm a little, um, uh, uh, I'm getting a little antsy that this might be the new wave, and there's like a OSGG old school <laughs> gore grind wave coming, and and I'm gonna be like, oh, guys, it's too saturated. You gotta slow down, you know. But but who knows? Yep. Uh, but if if it brings more bands like this, this is a great release, man. So shout out to them. Caustic wound, death posture. Love that fucking name. Yeah. H- hashtag OSGG. Guys, I'm going to crack a Frosty Brew right now to the new album by Frost Vore uh, of Tokyo, Japan. The album is entitled Drowned by Blood, 
and it's out on uh, Testimony Records of Hamburg, Germany. This is um, admittedly an HM2 pedal guitar sound inspired album, as you can clearly hear in your headphones right now. Um, something that I, I, I admittedly think is a little, like I just said, you know, it's, it's getting a little saturated out there, guys. It's getting a little crowded out here. Easy. Um, easy. But, um, you know, as with anything else where there's a wave and there's a lot of bands interested in a certain style, it's always good to see the forebearers of the style getting credit. And there's always bands that kind of cream of the crop, rise to the top. Uh, and I believe that Frostvor is one of them. I really enjoyed this. Uh, anyway, these few songs that have been uh, released in advance of this album. By the time the listeners hear this, it'll be out because it's getting released August the 28th, as I said, on Testimony Records. Um, and I listened to, like, I think there's three songs available now. I'm sure in the coming weeks they'll have a few more. Kind of a, at first, it like has like a, like a, oh, is this a bit of a bolt thrower, earache records thing? And then they kind of, they get a little more intricate with you. And, and all of a sudden you're thinking like, uh, I don't know, um... Like, like a, a nuclear blast, uh, early '90s slash Swedish death metal thing. There's these these guys. I wouldn't be surprised if these guys are just really well versed in their early '90s death metal and are kind of integrating different elements of different like regional scenes in seamlessly. Um, I I also you know I don't want to lump them in uh, for being a Japanese band, but there's kind of like a, something I've noticed over the years is like. When, when certain Japanese bands hone in on these regional styles from other areas of the world, they just do something wild with them. Like, for instance, Intestine Ballism um, in the 90s honed in very early on the Swedish death metal sound and took it somewhere like legendary in death metal circles. Uh, you had Viscera Infest more recently take the Mexican gore grind sound pioneered by Disgorge Mexico, and they kind of made their whole you know wave out of it. Um, you, you know, gr Japanese grindcore is its whole its whole thing. And I feel like this band, uh, in the tradition of Japanese underground metal, is taking some elements of this OSDM and presenting it in um, a, a very... Uh, a very... I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, a very... I don't want to say ingenious. A very um, inventive way is the word I was looking for. A very inventive way. Uh, because it's not just straight entombed worship. And the first listen through, you might think, oh, I kind of dismember, entombed, left-hand path thing going on. But once you listen to the songs develop and listen to what they're doing so much with the, the different sections, the guitar solos, the harmonics, uh, and then also the completely raw guitar tone and some of the more bolt-thrower and straightforward raw parts, it's really like a, a love letter to old-school death metal. Um, and this is what I look for in the OSDM scene. This is the type of cream of the crop bands I look for. And I don't want to spend too much time just like just doing a whole write-up on this Testimony Records based out of Germany. But you might want to look into this uh, Testimony Records. They're not, they're not maggot stomp, but I notice a similar wave going on because... Um, because they're not, they don't proliferate this like caveman death metal sound. But Testimony seems to be a new band that has a band camp with a bunch of limited merch that sells out quick. And their style isn't so much the caveman death metal, but I noticed a, a, a similar thread in a lot of their bands where it harkens back to that, like I said, early 90s nuclear blast, hypocrisy, benediction, um, uh, even, uh, you know, like disharmonic orchestra, kind of like. Uh, strange death black metal thing going on. There's a lot of interesting stuff on this Testimony Records, and Frostvor is a great example of that. So this album should be out by the time the listeners hear this.
All right, man. So, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of things. Old school death metal. Uh, old school death metal performed by guys who were there, like Cody. Old school death metal performed by the young guys, like Frostvor. Yep. Caustic Wound. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, Zach De La Roca showed. That was weird. He just popped in somewhere. I had okay. to bring him over, yeah. No doubt, man. He's he's passionate. He believes in himself. Yeah. Um, it's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I believe in you guys. Uh, for your recommendations. I believe in the listeners for listening to us. Thank you very much. Uh, another thing I believe in, uh, commerce, sticker packs, heavyholepodcast.com. What's it all about? You can go there, heavyholepodcast.com. Use any sort of internet-connected device. Um, you know, listen, just just connect 5G to our website directly. I think we offer that now. Um, <laughs> log on. Check it out. See that we have a phone number where you can leave a voicemail. Ignore it like you've been doing. Check it out, heavyholepodcast.com slash shop. Buy one of maybe the alleged three sticker packs we got left. Those will be gone forever. We're never going to make those designs again. Uh, keep, in, keep updated. Just, just keep going to it. I might change things around. I might change the colors. I might change something else. There might be a shirt. There might be a scarf. You're never going to know if you don't log on. Right now, AOL.com, keyword, heavy hole podcast. That's all I got to say. All right, guys. You know that we appreciate you listening, but something we appreciate even more is you calling us up. Uh, it's, it's getting lonely over here. Tom and Justin work on the computer all day long. They're seeing double sometimes. They're hearing video game noises that aren't there. It's crazy. I'm on a four-track cassette recorder. I think it's 1985 sometimes when I wake up. I don't know what's going on. You got to leave us a couple of voicemails. Keep us tuned into reality, okay? So right now, we're going to spill the beans on a couple of calls we've been getting behind the scenes, and we appreciate it. Hey, what's up, guys? Tyler Craig again. Uh, hope y'all are doing well, and Will, I wish you a speedy recovery from COVID. I believe in you, bro. We'll be praying for you for your speedy recovery. But I just wanted to give you guys just a couple of recommendations since it's been quite a while. Um, both these are fairly recent and they're more of like metalcore, hardcore type releases. First one I want to recommend is a band called Jesus Peace Good. with their debut LP, Only Self, released yeah. oh, okay. um, on Southern Ward Records That's in right. August of 2018. Very death metal informed hardcore that's just super beat down and just ferocious vocals and guitarists are just super mean, super meaty, um, a lot of beef to them, uh, just ferocious on vocals. Give this thing a shot. And second one I want to recommend is the newest album from Converge called The Dusk and Us, released on Epitaph Records in November of 2017. I just recently rediscovered this record and Jacob Jacob Band's vocals on the thing is just are just absolutely killer. The production is great. Um, Kurt Ballou just nails it again with production on this record, the riffs, the writing, the song lyrics are just super emotional and also just deliver on that um, frantic nature and just the brutality of, of just how harsh and how noisy hardcore can be and you know it's just been an amazing record to kind of get back into um amidst the quarantine but just want to give you guys a couple recommendations but hope you guys are doing well stay safe out there uh will again be praying for you my brother for a speedy recovery and i'll catch you guys later all right later guys
Thanks a lot, Tyler. I appreciate that, man. Obviously, uh, we had a little delay getting some of the voicemails up. I've, I've been recovered. I feel I feel great, man. And I'm very appreciative of, uh, of all the listeners, man, and all, all uh, my friends and uh, supporters out there, man. I, very, very, I'm very fortunate, man. Yeah, check out that Jesus Peace and that newest Converge. Yeah, dude. Yeah, solid recommendations. Jesus Peace forever. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, this is Shane. Just giving you guys a call. Uh, recommending an album, um, Man's True Nature by Infernal Torment. Uh, pretty sick, brutal death metal album from 1995. And uh, this kind of leads me to a question about, you know, lyrical content. Uh, this album probably has the most... You know, disturbing lyrics I've read. Uh, you know, it's clearly supposed to be a joke, but um, I was just wondering, you know, is it ever too much? You know, like, do, do the lyrics ever go too far in terms of, you know, violence and, um, you know, misogynistic violence and all that? Uh, and yeah, if you don't want to touch that subject, uh, no worries, but check out the album anyway, and uh, it's a great album. And yeah, take care, guys. Peace. Can, can words ever go too far? Yeah, well, yes. Yes. But uh, I think it's a personal <laughs> line that, that people have. That's right. I, I, I'm not familiar with this album. I'm curious now. I'm going to go back and check yeah. it out. But just on the spot to answer the question, for me personally, um, the, yeah, well, yeah, there's bands that I'm not really, that I don't really listen to. Or, I, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not really buying, buying their stuff and, and having it in my collection because I'm just not into the lyrics. There's bands that just cut, like the misogynistic thing, rape stuff. There's gore stuff that's just a little, you know. If it, dis- it, it there's stuff that I'm fascinated by because it disturbs me, and there's stuff that I'm just turned off by because it disturbs me. It's it's a wide world of extreme underground metal, and a lot of it's ugly. I'm I'm very my gut instinct is always against censorship. Um, but you know, you wade into some territory there. You know, I, I you know I, I don't know. Um, People uh, have, you know, whether people should have a right to uh, have stuff sold in, in, in a private store, a private establishment, or a private, you know, record distributor. You know, that, that's also their choice if they want to carry it, and you know, there's a lot involved. But that's why a lot, a lot of this stuff gets relegated to like these kind of um, uh, shadowy tape labels and, and places, you know, on the internet when it gets very, you know, like the more politically extreme bands and things like that. But I mean, I, that for me personally, if you say does it ever get too extreme, that's a line that everybody has to make up for themselves, and what you want to listen to, and what kind of art you choose to take in. Oh, what would you guys say? Yeah, I, I think like um, intent it has a lot to do with uh, with a way to perceive art in general, right? So uh, people could be doing it for shock, for fantasy. Um, you know, invoking the sort of like a horror movie kind of gore. You know, like I said, like shock value, or you know, they could really be fucking, or it could be like documentating uh, historical events, or it could just be how they feel. You know, they maybe they're a really fucked up person, and they just get they can say all the fucked up shit they believe, like in their lyrics, whatever. Yeah. Intent is a huge thing to do with it. Uh, kind of the the relationship between art and artist is difficult. Um, so I kind of echo what you say, man. It's a, it's a personal choice. Uh, if you have questions about something, somebody's lyrical content, like hit them up, like reach out, like what, you know, why are you like this? What, you know, what's, what's the reasoning behind this? Uh, what's the story behind it? I'm, I'm interested. Um, censorship is extreme, uh, this, you know, freedom of speech for sure, but not without, uh, sort of, you know, you're also free to react to it, uh, in any way you feel. So 
It's yeah. It, it's it's up to you, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, freedom of speech is not doesn't doesn't mean uh, it doesn't come without consequences. Exactly. You know, you can make uh, whatever however, however extreme you want to go. If if you just go that extreme, you kind of look like a jackass to me. Well, you know, I I don't think like. <clears throat> People have a right to say, well, I don't want to carry this record in my store, or I don't want to sell this record. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And even going so far, you know, you see all these tours getting canceled and everything like that. I don't always like to see um, people getting shut down and all that stuff, depending on who we're talking about. But at the same time, I can't tell a venue who to, who to let perform, because that's, that's almost like the flip side of the coin, is like, I can't tell a venue that they got to have artist A and artist B and artist C all perform mm -hmm. there. You, 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 they make that decision on their own. So I don't know where... I don't know where it begins and ends, kind of. You know? I mean, like a band like Cannibal Corpse has some of the most violent, misogynistic, yeah. rapey lyrics, but so somehow I feel like they get a pass usually. But if you're a new, Absolutely. if you're a new band and you come out with a song called "Stripped, Raped, and Strangled," you, like you'll be like, "Well, I mean, it's kind of extreme." Like, who do you think you are? You know? But yeah. like, yeah, you know, if you're if you were there to towards the beginning of death metal, it's it's kind of like given a pass of like, oh, well, we're just trying to get more extreme, you know? So it's like, yeah, so, uh, it's kind of arbitrary lines drawn. Yeah, it's it's definitely bigger than me, and um, I'm not known for having particularly extreme lyrics to begin with. It's, it's not just, my taste, personally. Yeah, but uh, it's like I said, I'd, I'd rather leave it a, a line that the consumer has to make for themselves. Uh, we got one more voicemail? We got one more. It's a quickie. Yeah, this is Mike Stevens of Time Going Gravera. I got one thing to say to Big Will. I can't afford to buy no goddamn records no more, man. I'm scraping Bandcamp <laughs> for dollar downloads. Come on, man. Later. <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> come on, Mike. Come on, man. Hey, I hear you, man. That's why I'm always in the clearance section of my favorite distributors, man. And that's also why I've gotten into cassette tapes lately, man. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I'm scraping uh, everything. Yeah, they're giving it to me on, on the social media, too, about the tape collecting, man. Hey, what can I do, man? That's just me, bro. I do it within a budget, man. I'm not blowing my whole retirement on it, all right? So that's, that's it, man. <laughs> Come on, man. 